Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, turns out you get a couple All-Stars back and uh, it changes everything. How about that? The Jazz lost to the Lakers Saturday in overtime. Five All-Stars missed the game. No LeBron, no AD for the Jazz, no Donovan Mitchell, no Rudy Gobert, and no Mike Conley, who made his first All-Star game. So, the Jazz still didn't have Mitchell. And the Lakers didn't have their top two players, but the Jazz did get Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley back. And Conley had five assists in the first quarter, and Gobert was rejecting shots left and right, challenging guys, grabbing rebounds. And the Jazz were up six after a quarter. They're up ten after the half. They led by 20 for most of the second half. Lakers with a little late run to lose by 14, 111-97. This game, the Jazz played better. They had better players out there, obviously, because they got Gobert back and they got Conley back and they also had Favors back. So they got three. They're missing four of their nine-man rotation uh, on Saturday and they're missing uh, one of their nine-man rotation (laughs) in this one. And so the Jazz really controlled the game. It really felt like, you know, six points in the first quarter. There's a long way to go, obviously, but it just felt like they were in control. It felt like they were in control from the get-go. They opened the the game with an 8-0 run. It was eight zip out of the gate. So, you get Gobert back, you start taking away layups in the first quarter with the Jazz taking control of the game. The Lakers stayed in it by hitting 6 of 10 from 3, but they were 2 of 8 on 2-point shots. They just couldn't get anything easy, and Gobert just wasn't going to let them. Now, obviously, it'll be different when we get to the playoffs if these two teams meet, and if AD and LeBron are healthy and Donovan Mitchell is healthy, that's a lot of talent that will change the game again the way these two guys, well, three with favors, but the two All-Stars coming back changed this one. Uh, you know, their their impact was obvious in the first quarter. Just <laughs> obvious and overwhelming. So, not as dramatic and not as um, competitive, which is how I define fun, as Saturday's game, which I thought was wildly entertaining. Um, but, you know, if you're a Jazz fan and you just want to win by double digits, this was your game. This was it, because the Jazz were in control. They looked good. They looked sharp. And we'll have the best of the Jazz post-game show coming up as they pick up the win. They do not pick up any ground on Phoenix. The Suns beat the Bucks. Uh, Booker gets fouled and hits a free throw to win the game in overtime. Uh, double overtime for the Nuggets to beat the Grizzlies. So, you know, at the top of the West, uh, the big dogs win. Um, but we've seen that for a while, and it looks like it's going to be a crazy sprint to the finish line here. The Suns, that was the first game as they played Milwaukee in a five-game road trip. They're playing five of the top six teams in the East. They're not playing Atlanta, I think, is the one they're missing on this trip. Um but, yeah, it is. It's Atlanta that they're missing. But it opens with a win over Milwaukee, and now they're off for a, uh, a Philly-Boston back-to-back on Wednesday and Thursday. So we'll see how that goes for them and see if the Jazz open up a little breathing room here. But the Jazz look good, and they'll be back at it in Houston on Wednesday. The Jazz really ought to win these next three games. Houston on Wednesday, Minnesota Saturday, and Minnesota Monday. So if you like drama, I hope you enjoyed Saturday because if the Jazz play well, there shouldn't be any drama at all in these next three games. None at all. You know, coming up at the end of the month, the Jazz go to Phoenix and play the Suns one more time. So we can look forward to that. That should be interesting. Uh, but these next three games, the Jazz ought to just take care of business. They ought to, they ought to take care of business and get the wins. And I thought they really did that. Quinn Snyder didn't have much negative say after the game. There weren't a lot of questions about what was wrong with this or what was wrong with that because the Jazz just looked in control. They did their thing. As Mark Jackson said about 50 times, they took care of their business. Took care of their business. And uh, he was on the ESPN call. Those guys having to broadcast a game from home. I saw some of you getting after him. I can't imagine trying to broadcast a game from home. 
it was hard doing RSL games broadcasting from a stadium, and over time I've gotten a little used to it. Um, it's still not as good. You can't always see what's going on. Sometimes stuff has happened off camera, and you just can't see it. Uh, that happened once in the Laker game. Dennis Schroeder went down. The camera went to the other end of the floor, and they just couldn't tell you what happened because, you know, they were at home. Um, you know, so there's that stuff. But, man, at home? Yikes. I mean, at least Dunny and I are sitting next to each other and can kind of play off each other. But <clears throat> at home? Yikes. So, well, Jazz get the win, and now we'll see if they uh, start to put together another streak here and stretch this thing out to uh, get to four wins and and get to next week. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk some college football. Chris Camrani writes for The Athletic and get his thoughts on the Utes, spring football, where this team is going forward. Um, You know, what what does he think of Kyle Whittingham saying this is a complete team? What this team has been missing has been the passing game. Yeah, quarterback play, receiver play, you know, the the defense has been good, the O-line's been good, the running game's been good, the special teams, both the punting and the place kicking's been good. It really comes down to the passing game. So we'll uh, we'll hit Chris up on that, and we'll do that next, and then it'll be the best of the Jazz post-game show. So stay with us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce? Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Time to welcome in Chris Camrani, staff writer for The Athletic, covering Utah football and much more around the state. i got to pull the curtain back here a little bit. Are you ready? I'm one, ready. Man. One thing for the audience, one thing for you. I've done it after possibly borrowing somebody's password for a while. I've just gone ahead and paid for the athletics. So thanks for you and some of your compatriots for writing enough stuff that now, along with a bunch of streaming services and cable companies and websites, it's more expensive than ever to be a sports fan. Thanks for that, Chris. Good work by you. Well, I want to know who's more of a cord cutter, you or your kids? Oh, my kids. Not even close. Okay. <laughs> Not even close. Uh, and then second, I think for our audience, uh, I, I texted you this once, and I don't yeah. even remember what avail it's on because with everything on Zoom, and I know that Utah football is your primary primary responsibility, but there are lots of other things that you've written about, and I've seen you pop up on these calls that you're lurking. And I decided that the analogy for you, PK's taught me that if, if you don't have similes and metaphors, you've got no yeah. chance to make it in sports media. You've got to have your similes and your metaphors. And for you, you're like an old-time prospector. You never know when you walk up some stream in whatever canyon to find the gold or silver in days, days gone by where Chris Camrani will have pitched a tent and be working it. You're everywhere, Chris. Love the work ethic. I think I speak for PK on that, too, although we can let him speak for himself. <laughs> well, as long as you guys hold me in the regard of being a lonely hermit who might be potentially striking gold every once in a while, I will take that and I'll run with it. I tried to avoid lonely hermit, but you got the gist. <laughs> I appreciate that, guys. I'm wondering if lonely hermit is an oxymoron. 
<laughs> Lonely Hermit sounds like a great band name. Yeah. <laughs> the Lonely Hermits are playing tonight. All right. I do know that Chris interviewed an expert on BYU football last week and gave him everything that he needed to know about the Cougars. He did. And, and uh, so he'll publish that. When's that being published for BYU fans? Uh, it should be later on this week, Friday or Saturday. Did you talk to Friday Steve Young or Pat Kinahan? Uh, <laughs> talk to Jake Hatch, actually. We did have a conversation about BYU, so he's doing some BYU stuff, so I throw that out there for the Cougar fans, The Athletic, a great website. hope it continues to succeed. It means jobs, and jobs are important. And my friends have jobs, and I like to see them employed. Even my enemies I want to see employed. never want to see anybody unemployed, that's for sure. It's too serious. So I want to know, I want to know who your enemies are. Oh, we, it's only a four-hour show, dude. Come on. Oh, well, everybody at Channel 2. <laughs> okay. Uh. <laughs> Poor Adam. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> best, best two falls out of three. They, they grapple. They wrestle all the time. All right, let's get right to it. The spring game here for, uh, for Utah. Uh, were there any surprises in it? I think that's kind of hard for it to happen, but maybe Devon Vele. Uh, are we reading too much into it because we're wishing something to happen? We want it to happen. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with the latter. I, I think, um, and I told this to PK last week when we spoke, I think the excitement and the um, oversimplification of something as mundane as a spring game is not a bad thing. I think that means that our community is healing. It means that we've done a, a pretty good job in the last few months of, of handling the virus and we are, if you look at things from a national perspective, probably as high up as you can get in terms of vaccinations rolling out and people taking them. So I think when I look at the spring game, I don't necessarily look at Charlie Brewer's 15 for 15 against Utah's two and a half string defense. I think of the fact that the community is going in the right direction and it's a win for the, the folks who are Utah fans, and it's a win for the people of this state. Um, I think I would be lying to you and all of your listeners if I pretended to know um, what is being taken out of the spring game outside of, yeah, sure, Devon Bailey had some great catches, and Solomon Enos looked to have some good rapport with Charlie Brewer. But outside of that, guys, I mean, I think we have to put this thing into context into what it is. It's, it's a fun scrimmage that allows – uh, the program to, um, you know, hit that next milestone in terms of getting ready for a normal college football season. And that's basically all it is to me. And that, that might be, I don't know, harsh in some circles, but the reality is, is I think it's just a win for um, what we're hoping to have transpire this fall, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm wondering, and obviously what we're hoping from the Utah perspective and their fans is to be in contention again deep into November on a regular uh, format of a season that begins in September and the conference season closes at Thanksgiving weekend and all that stuff, and then you have the, the title game. So I'm wondering if last, can't really call it a season, but yeah. last five games combined with the uh, spring practice where they got in all 15. That's the great storyline is they actually got in all 15. I don't really care what happened there, but the fact that all these teams 
in speaking of those who stay in the Pac-12, as far as I know, they got in all their 15 allotted practices, and then they'll go and do the training, and the formal training, as Kyle says, starts June 1st, and then they've got the training camp, and they're going to get 20-some practices and three non-conference games. Do all that stuff. Now, we've already got that partial in the book. It's already happened, and assuming we get the rest of it, does all that stuff put this team, which lost so many guys to the draft a year ago, put them in contention, do you believe, to contend for the South next season? Uh, I think it's always going to uh, rest on the development and the potential of the quarterback position. I know it's a broken record, and it has been for a decade, but when you look at the makeup of these Utah teams since they entered the Pac-12, the one uh, position that has basically held this team back has been the lack of elite quarterback play. And I think you can argue that Utah has only had one quarterback since entering the Pac-12 in 2011 in Tyler Huntley, who played at an elite level that was able to go out and single-handedly keep them in games and win them games. If you're going to get to, I guess not, we're not going to Santa Clara anymore. We're going to Vegas. If you're going to go to Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game, and if you're going to win and potentially go to a Rose Bowl, you have to have elite quarterback play. And that is uh, the, the tale of the truth for a very long time. I think it's very rare. Um, I mean, look at Alabama, guys. I mean, Nick Saban eventually said, yeah, I can't run a running back 35 times and hope to win a game 13 to 10 anymore. I have to go nuts and turn it loose. Sooner or later, Utah's offense is going to have to shoulder the load because as we saw last year, the defense more often than not is always going to be able to hold up its end of the bargain. And um, that defense lost a lot of guys in 2019 to the draft and they look like they're, they're ready to reload and, and be able to shoulder the load again. But for me, it's always going to come back to quarterback play. Can Charlie Brewer, can Cam Rising get these guys to, to Las Vegas? And if so, can they take them even further? The soon-to-be ex-commissioner takes a lot of heat for a lot of things, and I think he deserves most of it. But got to give him credit for moving from Santa Clara to Las Vegas. Had to wait for the stadium to get done. It feels like this is going to be a win for the conference. As far as your point about the quarterback play, uh, the only thing I would add is don't let the wide receivers off the hook totally. Uh, It's not a 50-50 split probably, um, but I do feel like they're part of the issue. But do you feel like that is getting solved now? I mean, we haven't seen someone with Charlie Brewer's credentials, stats, and experience at the helm with the possible exception of Tyler Huntley, and they won 11 games when they had that. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I don't know. We It's uh, remained to be seen TBD on the, on the receivers. It's an incredibly top-heavy group. When you lose guys like uh, Brian Thompson to PK's Devils, you lose Samson Nakua to an arch rival, albeit that's you know more of a, you know, due to family matters, but this this is another part of the Utah program that I think has held them back from reaching. I mean, we've we've seen them get to the championship game. We've seen them win divisional titles, but getting over the hump is is another thing. And I think you can argue. I I don't know. I don't want to use that Washington game in 2018 because it was so silly. It was one of the weirdest games I've ever seen. I want to throw that out. But that Oregon game in 2019, you could just tell that the difference makers on the outside on both sides of the ball. We're on a different level for Oregon. And Utah has to figure out 
how to put together skill position players, elite skill position players on both sides of the ball in the same year to allow them to reach that pinnacle. So since we don't build up or make definitive conclusions, and I got that right from a staff member a few years back at Utah as far as what you see in the spring train or spring game, but nevertheless I'm wondering, can they show video of Charlie Boer throwing the ball, completing all 15 passes to prospective transfer portal receivers because Kyle mm-hmm. has spoken about wanting to get that. So can they use that as a recruiting tool to draw in somebody who can be at least very good, if not a difference maker, out on the field at the receiver slots in the fall? I would say uh, pull up a YouTube compilation of Charlie Brewer amassing over 10,000 yards of total offense at Baylor instead of uh, – two fake quarters of a scrimmage game. I understand that, uh, you know, it, it might be sexy to say, like, look what Charlie can do in our offense. But Charlie Brewer amassed 10,000 yards of total offense in Baylor as a four-year starter, guys. That Not many quarterbacks are able to do that. So if Utah was to go that route, I would say this is what this guy can do, and maybe here are some uh, supplemental clips of what he did in the spring game. But there isn't a lack of evidence of Charlie Brewer's skill set in the right offense because the the stats speak for themselves. You know, I think that all of that stuff gets compiled and all of that stuff gets linked to social media and all the transfers see it if they're doing their homework. I can't guarantee that all the transfers do their homework, but uh, any any contact you have with them, even if it's third-party contact, it seems like these days all that stuff is out there, and if transfers don't know that stuff, that is on them. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Again, this is the kind of the final frontier, I think. I think you can argue that the, the building of depth and skill at the wide receiver position at Utah is probably more of a final frontier than the quarterback spot. And I know it doesn't always need to be Oregon deep or SC deep. I understand that. But sooner or later, you're going to need a couple of alphas. And I feel like I've said this on the show with you guys ad nauseum in the last few years, but it's the truth. You're going to need guys outside of Britton Covey who can go out and demand the ball. And by demanding the ball, I mean getting open. I mean showing that you're a liable go-to receiver against elite defensive backs. This is going to be something that Utah has to do with new wide receivers coach Chad Bumpfus to help get them to that next level. Running back position, I'm wondering if it's going to be like last season in that they went in, and last season was so screwy, so I even hesitate to draw any comparisons, but they went into the season thinking there was somewhat of a depth chart, and then it just flipped and on just a handful of carries by the late great Ty Jordan in the USC game. How much do you think they'll use the early part of the season, which hopefully is the non-conference games, to sort out the depth chart at running back? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, the, the staff was always high on Makai Bernard. I mean, going even back to 2019, guys, where you can argue that was the most talented Pac-12 era Utah team has ever been, coaches and players were talking about Makai Bernard as a true freshman 17-year-old kid, as a, as a guy to watch out for in the future. So it's not that surprising that he's been able to develop and currently establish himself as kind of the pseudo number one in that running backs room. But um, I mean, I think for me, 
selfishly, the, one of the best people to hear from on subjects like this is Kyle McDonald because he doesn't make any bones about it. He said the best player is always going to play. We don't care what your accolades were before you came here in high school or your previous school. The best player will play, and we've seen that you know, um, with, with Ty's emergence last year. And I know they add, you know, TJ Pledger and Chris Curry, but I don't know. There, there are just some things when you've been around a program long enough, like, like we have, it's like, it just seems kind of fitting that Utah would go to the portal to get a couple former four-star guys from these really prestigious fellow power five schools only to have the three-star kid who's been in your program for the last two years, just develop and become the next star player. So, I guess the elephant in the room then is Kyle Whittingham. And really, it's, it's Kyle's mindset. And PK and I have gone around and around on this. And, you know, until we see the games, I think we'll just continue to go around and around because everything seems possible. But I guess my question to you is, what is most likely with Kyle's mindset? Because I personally don't think Kyle, although he always valued turnovers and takeaways and hated the giveaways, uh, I felt like it really got burned into his psyche when he had back-to-back five and seven seasons. It was clear that he had one season to keep his job. It was clear his assistants weren't getting contract extensions in case he had to be let go and the whole staff had to be let go. And that, that's a pretty scarring ex- experience. And since then, man, protect the ball. You know, he was losing game. He had a five and seven season because they turned it over six times. They should have beaten UCLA. They turned it over six times, then they lost. But when he had Brian Johnson, and Brian Johnson, and I know it was Mountain West, it was a different level, but he wasn't worried about Brian turning the ball over. They could push it down the field, and they could make big plays, and he could stomach that. It doesn't seem like he can really stomach it since then. Do you think Charlie Brewer will, uh, will be the Tums that quiets his system <laughs> and enables them to push the ball down the field? Because he's going to look at those stats that you were talking about, the body of work from two years ago. He threw seven picks. Well, in a what's going to turn out to be 12, but maybe a 13 or 14 game season, 15 PK will say, uh, seven picks, that's a pick every other game. Kyle can live with that. Can't he? Will we get to that point? Will it look different? Help me. I like I like the analogy of the antacid for, for Kyle Whittingham. That's, that's, that's pretty befitting. Um, it's, it's all about style, guys, and it is about protecting the ball, and it is about establishing who you want to be as a program. And I think Kyle wants to be able to control everything in terms of the clock, um, uh, position field battles, all this stuff. And that makes sense because if you do that, the odds are always going to be in your favor, but there's going to come a time when you have to be willing to go out on a limb and take the sort of risks that are necessary to, you know, win really tight games. And, and I think Kyle has proven that. I mean, I don't know how many other coaches in college football go for it on fourth and three or less than Kyle Whittingham does, regardless of the uh, position on the field that the Utes are in every season. But um yeah, I mean, again, this is all interconnected to what this Utah program needs to develop and become. I, I do think, guys, I do think going back to 2019, it would have behooved that team to be in tighter games because they were so dominant early on that they were just able to give Zach the ball 25 times and be comfortable by the end of the third quarter, it would have been good to have that team kind of have to turn it loose and have Tyler go out 
and win some games on his own early on in that season. And I think sooner or later, Kyle and his staff knows that if you're going to be in contention in the Pac-12 South, if you're going to win the Pac-12, you got to get a quarterback that's going to take risks and take chances. And yeah, I understand the, uh, the fear of, of turnovers and losing games that way. I mean, there was, like you mentioned, DJ, there was a time where Utah should have won a bunch of games where there was, I think there was that Oregon State game one time at Rice-Eccles where Travis Wilson had like five or six picks or something. There, there are games that Utah fans have burned into their memory that, that should have been wins, but I think we're past that. I just think like the next evolution of this Utah program has to be, to your point, kind of just giving the right quarterback the keys to the car and letting him put the foot on the pedal. There he is, Chris Camerani, the Lonely Hermit, which is brought to you by the Department of Redundancy Department. But nonetheless, the Lonely Hermit. All right, we're looking forward to a BYU piece sent on The Athletic. You want to give us just a hint about what's going on? Just a little just a little taste, something tantalizing. What oh, are you, no. What it, are you chasing? So, so the, the Athletic has a breakdown of all of the major college football programs across the country every year. Called It's a series called State of the Program, mm-hmm. and Basically, you're asked to dive into the nitty-gritty of the last few years and kind of the current roster projections of, of each program going into the 2021 season and go you know, position by position and recruiting and schedule analysis, all of that stuff, all the type of things that fans love to read and, and the kind of thing that I definitely need to rely on the experts to help write. So it's not that hard to put two and two together as to why I called somebody last week. <laughs> All right. Well, one day, now that The Athletic has subscription money from people like me, one day they'll probably hire a BYU person and someone to share the load with you on that, that front in the state. They, they, got a, they got the Jazz covered and they got the Utes covered. It seems like that's next. In the meantime, you, yeah. can, you can do a little more, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm a lonely hermit, so I, the, the, <laughs> the less competition, the less uh, people in my periphery, the better. You guys know that. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. There is Chris Camrani from The Athletic. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. It's time for the best of the Jazz postgame show as the Jazz beat the Lakers and really quite comfortably. Jazz looked good right from the start of the game. Led 8 nothing. Led at the end of every quarter. Won the first quarter. Won the second quarter. Won the third quarter. Had the game blown open at that point. Fourth quarter was pretty much all garbage time. Strong performance from the Jazz. Here's Jake with the best of the postgame show. George Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz beat the Lakers last night 111-97. The Jazz are now 43-15 and on the season. Uh, the Suns did beat Milwaukee last night, so the Jazz remain a game and a half up on the Suns in the Western Conference for the Western Conference lead. Uh, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, and uh, Derek Favors all returned to the lineup for the Jazz for this game against uh, the Lakers. They did not play on Saturday. Of course, Donovan Mitchell out. He will be reevaluated at the end of the week. But the Jazz were led by Jordan Clarkson, who had 22 points, 9 of 14 shooting. 
Joe Ingles was absolutely lights out. Uh, he had 21 points, 5 of 8 from 3 for Joe. He also had 5 assists and 4 rebounds. Rudy Gobert with 14 points, 10 boards, 2 blocks. Uh, Mike Conley, 14 points, 10 assists. Bogdanovich with 19. Royce O'Neal breaking out of that shooting slump. 13 points, a perfect 5-5 five five from the field, 3-3 three of three from 3 to go along with 9 rebounds and 5 assists. Great game last night from Royce O'Neal. Let's get to the post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz Head Coach Quinn Snyder. All right, we'll start with Tony Jones, the Athletic. Hey, Coach, it seems like you guys, you know, came out with a level of focus in, uh, in the third quarter. Um, you know, what, was, what were some of the adjustments that you made at halftime and, and you know, how, uh, what was your reaction to Rudy's performance, uh, especially in the second half? Well, I, you know, I thought we came out, frankly, Tony, with a good focus at the beginning of the game as well. Um, you know, anytime you play a team that, um, when you build a little bit of a lead, you know they're gonna they're gonna raise their level. Um, you know, I, I, Rudy did what what he does. You know, he protected the rim and um, did a great job of staying spaced. I, I think our spacing tonight was as good as it's been in a long time. And as a result, you saw the ball move. And, and I don't know how many assists we had, but it seemed like the ball was pinging around and. Uh, you know, that's a good formula for us. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, it seemed like on an eye tonight, you got a lot of kind of good balanced performances from everyone, whether it's Royce, you know, grabbing nine boards or Rudy and Mike with double doubles or Joe kind of taking over in the third quarter. How important is it for everyone to kind of not overreact to not having Donovan, but to also like simultaneously kind of find a way to fill that void. Well, I mean, that, that's who we are when we have done, you know I mean? That, that's, that's who our team is. It, um, it can be, can be different guys at different times. Obviously Don, Donovan's that guy um, a lot of times, but he's had plenty of games where, you know, he's had high assist games and different guys are getting shots and, you know, we're just trying to take what the defense gives us. And I think that's the key for our team is to, really to read and react to, you know, to how we're being played. We have as many threes tonight um, as far as attempts go. But I think at one point, you know, midway through the fourth quarter, every, every maybe the one shot that we took was either a three or was in the deep paint. Um, so if we're able to play that way, you know, those are high percentage plays. And that requires us to be connected. And um, that's what we want, you know, no matter who's on the court. Um, no guy's going to play 48 minutes, so that's who we are, you know, collectively. Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Quinn, has there been anything specific that Rudy's been doing um, to his free throw shot, or what kind of work has he been doing on that? I, I think it's ongoing, you know. Um, it's something he spends a lot of time on, and I, I think even th- th- there's been some games with – he, he's had some early misses in a game and, you know, he's managed to kind of work through that. Um, one of the things that, that he consistently does, and I don't know all the exact numbers, but he, he makes them late and he makes them when they count. And, you know, that, that shows the work that he's put in and the confidence that he has himself on the line. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Quinn, it seems like 
Jordan's bounced back really well from his injury. I'm sure it's not the ideal way to get rest, but is it just time away from the game? Is it time watching from the sideline? What, what do you think helps even when you're, you know, not ideally a hundred percent? Yeah. You know, it, there's, there's value to it. You know, even if you're recovering from an injury, um, there's other things that you're doing, you know, that lets your body heal and, regenerate and, and find use. And as you said, it's, it's maybe not the ideal way uh, to have that happen, but it, it's certainly a silver lining a lot of times, um, particularly if it's handled right. You know, the biggest thing is sometimes you lose your conditioning, uh, but there's other ways to address that, you know, without putting pressure, you know, on whatever, you know, whatever your particular injury is, in his case, is ankle. Last question, David James, KUTV. Quinn, you've now uh, seen a few of these uh, little mini-series where you play a team twice in three games. Does that lead to better basketball? Do guys get more dialed in on the opponent? It minimizes the travel. What do you think of these? Um, I, I haven't really overthought it, to be honest with you, David. I, I think a lot of these games, you know, it's hard to compare. Like last, the last game we didn't have, you know, Rudy – Fave, Mike, or Donovan, um, and this game we did. So every game's a little bit different. I will say that the travel component, you know, is real. And to be able to stay in a market um, and have a day, especially, you know, with the situation we're in right now, that, that, you know, oftentimes if you get in late and you still have to get up, you know, you've got four hours, five hours to sleep before you can get up and test. And then to try to go back to bed and get rest is really difficult. So to the extent that you eliminate that travel, um, I think it does help. And I think it helps in particular right now with what we're going through. There's Coach Quinn Snyder uh, after his team won 111-97. Let's now hear from the players. Let's start things off with Derek Favors. Hey, Derek. We'll get started with Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. All right. Hey, Derek, just first of all, um, you were out for the last game with right knee soreness. Just kind of curious how the knee's feeling and kind of how it happened and your your thoughts on that. No, the knee is fine. It's, um, you know, with a compressed season and, you know, all the traveling, all the games, sometimes the knee gets sore. So I think it was more of a just a precautionary thing. Um, I mean, it wasn't nothing serious, nothing serious. Just one of those things where, you know, your knee gets sore, they don't want it to – well, I don't want it to turn into something serious, so it just, you know, just sit out of the game. Quick follow-up on that is I know you've been kind of heating your back, and, and that, has that gotten better than it was earlier on in the year? <laughs> yeah, pay attention to everything. No, it's, it's good. It's good. It's just something I do on the sideline. Um, no, I don't want my back to get still for my whole body to get still, so I try to stay loose Um until it's time for me to go in the game because, you know, I don't want to go in the game being still for it, not warmed up, warmed up. So now I just try to do little things to keep my body warm and keep my body, you know, loose and flexible before I go in the game. We just want you feeling good. That's, <laughs> that's I appreciate awesome. that, man. Thank you. <laughs> Next up, David James, KTV. To follow up on that, Derek, have you been battling some of these all year because some of these things all year, because it looks like there's some nights you're jumping, you're flying around out there and other nights where it looks like you got to play, play below the rim and you're, you're the savvy old guy in the gym and, and it changes the often. So I wonder if you've just been battling stuff on and off all year. Oh, uh, no, no, I haven't been uh, battling anything. You know, um, 
like I said before, you know, some days I feel great. Other days, you know, the body hurts. You know, um, 11 years in the league and, you know, with this compressed season, um, playing all these games so close together, you know, sometimes your body just aches and sometimes, you know, your body don't want to wake up and, you know, act right. So you got to do little things to, you know, get the body loose and get my body going that, you know, it looks like that sometimes because I don't play big minutes. So I might come in the game um, still a little stiff and probably play maybe two or three minutes and come right back out versus, you know, coming coming in the game and playing, you know, an eight-minute stretch and where I can, you know, get loose and, and really get going. So it's, it's, it's a battle, but um, now I think I'm making the best of it. And, you know, my body's holding up right now. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Derek, with, uh, with you and Rudy both back in the rotation tonight, uh, things obviously looked a little bit differently in this game than they did in the first meeting on uh, on Saturday. What were you seeing? What were you guys trying to accomplish just in terms of your uh, paint defense tonight? Um, you know, they're trying to keep Drummond off the boards. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a really good rebounder, really good player inside the paint. So just pretty much trying to contain him, um, you know, contain the guards on the, on the pick and roll action. Um, you know, just trying to make it tough for him, attacking the paint. I know last game, Ursan did a great job of spacing the floor and also defending the paint and, and defending the rim too. But, um, you know, he, he's not a rim protector. So when me and Rudy come back, you know, we just try to play good defense, um, help the guards out as much as we can. Um, and like I say, Drummond's a good rebound. So try to keep him off the boards and, you know, just, just protect the paint. Last question, Maxime Lagorgeous, the free agent out of France. Uh, what do you retain from this game? Say that one more time. What do you retain from this game? What do I take from this game? Um, I mean, we still have a lot of work to do, but I think we can um, compete with any team in this league. I mean, obviously, this is a team we're probably going to see down the road. So, you know, just come in and, and do the small things, do the little things, and, you know, just continue to try to get a win. There's Derek Favors talking about how uh, he is not uh, dealing with any lingering injury, but uh, more the rest on Saturday was about an abundance of uh, caution with his condensed schedule, and he's been in the league uh, now for 11 years. Uh, let's now hear from Royce O'Neal. All right, we'll get started here. First question will be from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Royce, the very first pass you catch tonight on the opening possession, you fire up the three with no hesitation. Next possession, you go right to the rim. You score the team's first five points. Were you making it a point to try to be a little bit more aggressive tonight than maybe you have been before? Or is that just, you know, taking the shots within the flow of the game that are there? Uh, not at all. I mean, I was just, you know, taking the shots that was there. I mean, whether I was open, knocking down the three and going to the basket, finishing myself or making plays for somebody else, you know, just playing basketball. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. I'm curious, Royce, when you catch the ball and you're making that decision to shoot or drive or pass, are you making that decision before you catch the ball or are you trying to make the read when you when you catch it? Read before it. Uh, you know, seeing what I'm able to do, whether I'm going to get the open shot or have a driving lane. Uh, just reading what the defense gives us. David James, KTV. Royce, you've had a few of these situations now where you've played a team. Uh, you've either stayed in a city for a couple games like you did in New York and played both teams or two or three in L.A. against the Lakers, two games in three nights. What do you think of this? Does it does it help you hone in on your assignments, especially defensively? Uh, would you like to see this keep going going forward? 
mean, whether we're, you know, whether it's one game, two games, three games, I think we just focus on one game at a time, try not to look at it, you know, ahead, you know, staying in the city or playing at home. I mean, it's basketball either way. Follow-up from Eric Walden. Royce, has there been any kind of conversation among the guys just kind of talking about what needs to be done to kind of make up for Don's absence, just kind of given, you know, the scoring binge that he was on after the All-Star break? No, just keep playing basketball. I mean, whether he's playing or not, I think, I mean, we have a great team. I mean, guys scoring, passing the ball. I mean, I think our defense is, you know, what carries over to our offense, so. There's Royce O'Neal playing it cool, but he was great last night. 13 points, perfect 5-5, shooting 3 of 3 from 3, 9 rebounds and 5 assists. Just a a great night of basketball from Royce O'Neal. Let's wrap things up uh, from the player sound with Rudy Gobert. All right, we'll start with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Hey, Rudy, I'm wondering what kind of work has been going on behind the scenes on your free throw shot? Have you been doing anything different at all with the mechanics, or has it just been about getting reps up? Uh, I've been putting a lot of work, you know, over the the off season and uh, and at home. You know, luckily I have a I have a basketball at home, basketball gym at home. So uh, every off day I've been putting some work, uh, and I'm you know more and more comfortable. I think it's you know just uh, the more the less I think, the easier it is, and you know that's what I've been I've been doing pretty much. Has it been more more work that you've been putting in maybe in the past that you've been actually focused in on it a little bit more? I've been putting in a lot of work uh, every single year. but uh, and, and, you know, when it's, it's weird because like outside of a game situation, I'm probably a more than a 90% free throw shooter. And, and, you know, in the game and with the adrenaline and all that, uh, I was missing free throws and I, I was trying to figure out, you know, why. And, and it was mostly because... You know, when you when you overthink, uh, you know, it affects your right, your model pro- program. And, and then you shoot differently. You know, the less I think, you know, I just let it go and, uh, and it's easy. Tony Jones, The Athletic. Rudy, what can you take individually and what can you guys take collectively as a team uh, from your three games with Los Angeles, given the fact that uh, through for two of the three games, neither one of you teams were whole. Uh, for, yeah, for actually three of them because AD didn't play the first game either. Uh, you know, for us, it's just about getting better. You know, obviously, uh, they had uh, you know they lost the two best players for the for for a long period of time. We luckily we didn't. Uh, but for us, you know, it's uh, yeah, whoever who we play. You know, no matter who we play, uh, you know, we, we, we take the challenge and, uh, you know, we, we try to get better every night and, and obviously win the game. Uh, we know that when we're going to meet them, if we meet them in the playoffs, uh, it's probably going to be a different team for sure. David James, KTV. Rudy, it was just one game off, but how much is uh, missing a back-to-back, avoiding three games in four days, and, and getting two days to get ready for this? How different do you feel going into the game? You know, uh, I try to not miss any games. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, thankfully, you know, that was my only game I missed this year. And uh, it's always tough, you know, to watch from the sideline. But uh, at the same time, you know, I think it's good for, for some of the younger guys to get more, more minutes and, 
you know, try different lineups. And, you know, I thought, you know, I thought they did a great job, you know, battling. Uh, but, yeah, you know, uh, I mean, it's a long season. It's a lot of games. And the goal for us is uh, to make sure that we, you know, we're able to be as fresh as we can. And, and you know, and uh, when the playoff comes and then obviously throughout the end of the, the last 15 games, you know, uh, yeah, just keep getting better and, uh, you know, be smart and try to win every single game every night. Maxime Lagorgeous, the free agent out of France. Bonjour, Rudy. En quoi la blessure de Donovan a modifié ton rôle dans l'équipe? He asked like, why Donovan's injury changed my role. I don't think he does. You know, obviously, Donovan is a, is a huge part of what we do, uh, but uh, my role is the same uh, with or without Donovan. You know, it's to, to be a leader for this team and, uh, and, uh, and you know, and, uh, and make sure that uh, we do what we're supposed to do defensively to be a, a top defense in the league. And, you know, uh, I try to do that every single night. You know, and, and, you know we have uh, a lot of guys that are, you know, that have a lot of experience too, like Joe, Mike. So, you know, it's forest leaders. It's, you know, every night trying to come in and, and, and lead this team and, uh, And when Donovan is back, you know, obviously he's definitely one of our leaders too. So uh, for us, yeah, every night, you know, every night I have the same focus and, and try to help this team win. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, just kind of as a follow-up to that, do you feel like with kind of the depth and balance and experience that you mentioned from some of those guys that you guys are maybe a little more kind of uniquely able to absorb losing a guy like Don than other teams might be? I mean, we, we have a lot of talent, you know, and it's definitely a blessing for, for our team. Yeah. And that's why our, our, we're able to have, uh, you know, when, when some of the starters call, come out, you know, we still have a, a very good team, you know, and, and we have probably like uh, maybe eight guys, eight, nine guys that will probably start on most of the, of the teams in this league. So, Uh, it's a luxury, and, and you know, and uh, obviously uh, Donovan is a unique player. But uh, when even when he's out, you know, we we got guys that are able to create and do things for this team. Last question, Amanda Skurlock, LA Sentinel. Um, the Utah Jazz got 52 points in the paint. I was wondering, like, how did you guys kind of figure out LA's front court? I think for us, we we just try to you know move the ball and then obviously and attack the paint uh, and see what they do defensively. And you know they were early in the game they were really helping a lot and giving up a lot of threes. And uh, and I think in the second half they, they decided to try to take away the threes. So you know whatever the defense give us, uh, you know Mike, Joe, Jordan, you know all these guys gonna. We're just going to figure it out, you know, and, and, and read the defense. And it's, you know, that's why we've been, I think, uh, so hard to guard this year is that we have multiple guys that can, you know, attack uh, attack the paint and that are very good finishers. And, and at the same time, we're able to, you know, to find the shooters when the, the defense collapse. There's Rudy, 14 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, two block shots, and, of course, just a game-changer 
uh, on defense changes the whole way the Lakers uh, had to attack the Jazz, and obviously it was not very successful. The Jazz win 111.97. Up next, they'll take on the Houston Rockets coming up tomorrow night. Uh, that game will tip off at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage will begin at 5. And, of course, you'll hear it all right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There's the best of the postgame show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah Jazz. Here's Rudy through the middle of the lane. Lays it up with a finger roll scoop. The Big Dipper from the rafters nodding in approval. Royce has got Bogdanovich trailing. Hands it to him. Underhand scoop. Lob to Rudy. Oh, he packed it with a right hand. After going, go, go. Gadget arm to get it. 10-0 run by the Jazz. Ingles in transition for three. Pow! And Joe holds the pose, saying, don't you know, I'm 50% from three. I'm the greatest shooter in the world, saying Steph Curry. And I can bury anything. Joe, step back three straight away. Hit to his right, stepping back and burying it. Joe Ingles is something else right now, and he's got four threes. And the Utah Jazz beat the Lakers 111-97. Joe Ingles hit five of his eight three-pointers, had the five assists and the four boards, finished with 21 points and helped the Jazz get the win. And PK, he keeps getting better. He just keeps blowing your mind. Yeah, I really wish that uh, today was Thursday because first thing I would do is tell Joe, uh, either you rip up the contract or I walk because he's underpaid. He already doesn't know what to do with all the money. Not the point. That's his problem. It's status and respect. Yeah, yeah. It's not about the money, Dave. Where you've been all these years. Well, it is about the money. But it's also <laughs> about the respect. Yeah, exactly, but, but man. Respect. <laughs> respect equals money. That's It's way more about... It's never about the money. Haven't you heard me say that? Mm, uh, I don't recall. It's always about the money. Well, you need to jar your memory. Oh, man, this guy is incredible. Who thought he would be this good? Raise your hand. If you raise your hand right now, you are a liar. Liar! I had to readjust my expectations for him multiple times, and we will get to that coming up in the next, uh, I don't know, hour or so, because we got uh, Dane Brugler, NFL draft analyst, at 7.30. It's the question of the day. A lot of people are weighing in on Facebook. We get it up on Twitter, too. But I have recalibrated my expectations for Joe several times as we've seen him improve. Like, okay, well, now he's the fourth wing guy. No, he could be the third wing guy. Wow, if this guy starts and finishes games, I'd be okay with that. Too. Everybody get out of Joe's way! Everybody! I mean, I think the... The obvious question is, what do you think the Jazz can get for Mitchell? Ha! <laughs> What's an all-star worth, PK? 15 to 20 points, Gobert and Conley come back, and the Jazz go from playing an overtime game with the Lakers to up by 10 at the half, up by 20 after three, really up by 20 for most of the second half. That was, that was about as comfortable a road win as you're ever going to see. 
That was nice. An 8 o'clock start. Let me go to bed a little early. Appreciate that. No reason to be playing an overtime game on an 8 o'clock start. It's not very considerate for your morning radio hosts. No. Jazz get the win. Schedule really lightening up now. They're going to play the next three games against the two worst teams in the West. No back-to-backs. Through this next week or so, they are good to go. Jazz will play the Rockets in Houston tomorrow night. They're now the worst team in the West. Tip-off set for 6 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hashtag NBA. Martin to Jokic, three. Yes! Got it again! Denver's back in the lead by three. Timeout Memphis. Draymond screens for Steph. Steph launches a three. Got it! Topside triple ties the game at 86. Steph now with 32. And that's 11 straight games of 30 or more for Steph Curry. Hooker gets it. Three dribbles. Bends. Shoots. Missed it off the rim. P.J. Tucker the rebound. He'll throw it. It won't get anywhere near the rim. And that'll do it. The Suns win in overtime. 128-127. The final from Milwaukee. Phoenix starts the five-game road trip on the right foot. No question about it. Suns beat the Bucs 128-127. Devin Booker going to the line to make the winning free throw right there at the end of the game in the final couple of seconds. And the Suns, it's a five-game trip. They're playing five of the top six in the East, but they beat the Bucks. And PK I was watching the um, I was I was watching the Jazz game, and I went to another room to do the post-game zoom. And I came back. I'd left the TV on, and I came back to the TV, and Tim Legler from ESPN was just scorching the Bucks. Ansel Kempo's not an ISO player. I know he's your best player, and you're supposed to ISO your best player, but that's not who he is. And if they do this, they're going to keep losing. If they do this in a postseason, they will get beat. So definitive. But they kept playing the video of him tripping over his own feet as he tried to make a move. And the defense was playing five or six feet off him. Go ahead. Shoot that three-pointer. We hope you do. Well, uh, they've lost five games at home in a row now. I mean, they're just not as good as their people think, uh, or some people anyway. I never thought it was. And he, he actually cramped up mm-hmm. at the combo, so he wasn't in there at the end. Uh, P.J. Tucker, uh, a foul. The, th- the thing that I didn't like about the foul is that the Suns had nothing going on that possession. Uh, Booker was just sort of stumbling around at the, above the uh, three-point line and then just ran to his right and... Tucker, I guess, it grazed him. Uh, it was a bailout, and so the lady ref called it, and I've heard comments about her and whatnot and all that stuff. So, But, yeah, Milwaukee, it's Milwaukee is who Milwaukee is. I mean, I don't really take them seriously So, as far as a contender. So you can go whichever room you want to go in, and they're, they're still not going to be any good as far as being able to win at all, as far as I'm concerned. Other games that uh, caught everybody's attention. You heard the Nuggets beating the Grizzlies, 139-137. Jokic goes for 47 points, 15 rebounds, 8 assists. He's hitting big shots late. Memphis had a chance to win that game, and John Morant got caught in the air and threw the ball off the backboard to himself and tried to volley it in. That would have been spectacular if he pulled it off, but it was pretty awkward looking. So they get beat, and the Nuggets win again, and Jokic... Piling up more MVP votes, I suppose. That was pretty impressive. Well, yeah, the big thing here is they're 3-0 without Murray. 
And the Warriors go into Philadelphia and win 107-96. Steph Curry, 49 points, 10 three-pointers, shooting ridiculous stuff. Whoever MB defended, they put him into the pick and roll, and he didn't want to come out on Curry. Nor would he have had much of a chance if he came out on Curry, but at least he could have changed Curry's three-pointers into two-pointers. But Curry kept throwing in threes, and the Warriors get the win. Yeah, he's on a marvelous run. I mean, there's just no doubt about it, man. He's taking his team, putting it on his back as a little player, and it's really cool to see because he's so so awesome with the shooting, man. He's just just incredible. I mean, just amazing. And the one other thing, he doesn't have it on here as far as I can see on the rundown, but the Celtics, who we anointed as being able to uh, make a comeback, lose to the Bulls. The Bulls don't have Levine. And they were in Boston, and it was just a pathetic game by yep. the uh, Celtics. Vucevic went for 29-9 and in that game. They could not control him at all, and the Bulls win 102-96. LaMelo Ball has been cleared to resume uh, individual basketball activity. He had a CT scan on his fractured right wrist, shows it's healed. He could be ready to play again in 7-10 to 10 days. The rest of the injury news, Anthony Davis could be back in their lineup as early as Thursday. they got to practice Wednesday. He's missed 30 games. LeBron James still, quote-unquote, weeks away. And Houston Rockets forward Sterling Brown suffered facial lacerations during an assault Sunday night. In a statement Monday, the Rockets said Brown had no prior knowledge or of or interaction with the assailants. He's expected to make a full recovery after reportedly getting assaulted with a bottle outside a nightclub. Might bring up the question from the the NBA, what's he doing in a nightclub? Uh, Now, well, he was outside a nightclub. Doesn't say he was in a nightclub. Uh, But uh, he better have worn his mask. Your guy says we still got to wear a mask. So uh, as long as he's got his mask on, I guess. I don't know what the rules are anymore. I don't think he's supposed to be in a nightclub. And sure, I guess theoretically he could have just been walking past a nightclub. I don't know. I only know what the facts here that are listed. I, can, I don't assume any facts. There's, you don't assume facts. Facts are not something that are assumed. That they're either a fact or they're not. So maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but I'm not going to assume it. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. So Jalen Suggs is off to the NBA as we expected, and Gonzaga just goes out and gets the top overall recruit, Chet Holmgren announces he will play for Gonzaga. And PK, the question is, now that Gonzaga is a full-blown power program, recruiting one and done from the top player in the NBA, will they suffer some of the, the same fate and some of the same highs and lows that other programs that have relied on one and dones? And we've seen, uh, we've seen issues at Kentucky, Duke, Arizona, and probably leaving schools off the list, but we've seen them all have some success with one-and-dones and also have uh, just brutal, awkward failures with one-and-dones. Who's the top player in the NBA that they're getting? Or are they the top recruit? Suggs, the top player? They're getting oh, Chet Holmgren. Man. He's the top overall recruit in 2021. Suggs well, is going to be, I don't know what Suggs is going to be. No, Suggs will be two, three, or four in the NBA draft. I would take him one, man. I love his game. Absolutely love his game. Now, because they're in the conference of BYU and I'm more interested in them than Cunningham was over at Oklahoma State. I've seen him play a million times. I absolutely love his game. It's going to be so fun to watch him over the next 15 years to see how good he could be. Uh, but uh, so depends on how they handle it, you know. If uh, they just go exclusively with the one-and-dones and the majority of their players are one-and-dones and they're probably going to have a problem or two along the way. 
but they have other transfers that they bring into the program, and and so I don't think they're going to go away from that. I mean, you look in Kentucky, it's like Kentucky's exclusively a one-and-dunner, and Arizona's top players that they just give the ball to and let them take over, and then obviously they've had other issues there at Arizona, and I don't know that Gonzaga's going to have them, but if he goes away from the model, then it could be a problem, but I don't know if he's going to go away from the transfer international model. Now, Tommy Lloyd was the guy who was had the connections and the uh, international players, and he's in Tucson now, so there's other issues there besides the one and done, potentially, but I still expect them to be good for the next five years, and that puts a few at like 63, maybe at that point, we'll see. And then there's the story of Charlie Moore. Who is Charlie Moore? He is breaking new ground as far as Catch I can tell, the PK. Brewers, isn't he? he started at Cal. He transferred to Kansas. Then he transferred to Paul. They've had a coaching change, as did Cal. And he's leaving to Paul to go to Miami. So now we got college basketball players. Thanks to the new NCAA transfer rule, you can play for a fourth school, and Charlie Moore is doing it. Write his name down, PK. The future. Four years, four schools. Of course, this is the first time that pandemic. I've heard of Ch- Charlie Moore, and probably the last time I hear hmm. of Charlie Moore. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Obviously a great player. Dealt with adversity throughout his career and always seemed to come on come on top and uh, be the better from it. And uh, someone that he's dealt with different coaches, he's dealt with different systems, and, he, and he's always had success. And then obviously with the injury that he had, uh, to be able to come back and lead his team into the playoffs, it shows the type of man that he is, the type of team player that he is. And and uh, I'm just grateful for the time that I had with him that, that really developed me to be the quarterback that I am today. That's Patrick Mahomes talking about Alex Smith. Alex Smith, the former U quarterback, retiring yesterday. The news broke late in our show yesterday. And, of course, Patrick Mahomes was a teammate of his in Kansas City as his rookie year. He watched Smith and then took over the team as uh, Smith got got moved on to Washington there. Mahomes was uh, speaking. He, he had uh, surgery for his turf toe. Says he's ahead of schedule in his recovery. So, able to update us on his health and uh, – Give a little salute to Alex Smith at the same time. Yeah, that's a nice tribute. Uh, Mahomes, I think it's the, time to oh. s- step aside for Lee Grosscup and move Alex Smith into the greatest youth football player. <laughs> Famous youth quarterbacks. Pick your favorite decade. Mahomes, by the way, recently went to the Masters in Augusta, said he's now done using a protective boot. I'd like to be at the Masters in a protective boot going up and down those hills. Uh, it's better than not being. He said he shed it before that. Though. Oh, he did have it. He's he able to move it. around pretty freely, he said. Get me to the Masters. I'll wear uh, a, uh, a wrap all the way around. It's just my eyes. I'll be good enough. Green Bay Packers reportedly telling their players that the first, mo- first month of spring team activities, the OTAs, will be virtual. They'll reconsider in-person activities uh, before they get into phase two of their off-season program in mid-May. Total of 19 Packer players have more than $5 million at stake by participating in the majority of the franchise's offseason workouts and sessions. Got some bonuses built in to make sure you show up for work. Good gig. Yeah. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. DeYoung at the plate and the pitch. That ball is hit high in the air to left field. It's back to the track. 
to the wall. Slater. Paul DeYoung has hit his second home run of the game. A big fly. Paul DeYoung and the Cardinals tack on four more. Giolito deals, and there's a drive. Left field. It's high. It's deep, and it is way back, and it is long gone. It comes down off the National Car Rental sign, almost out of the yard, and the Red Sox lead it 7-1. to one. J.D. with number six. Here's a swing and a drive. Deep into the gap in left center field, and this one is going and going, and goodbye, Baseball, Taylor Trammell with an opposite field home run out to the pen. Taylor Trammell with a homer there. The Mariners beat the Dodgers 4-3. Padres lost to the Brewers 3-1. So let down PK after all the emotion of the series. How do those two teams both get beat? Well, they're going to lose 60-some times or 50-some times this year, so that's what I chalk it up to. That's uh, that's the old Tommy Lasard. Everybody loses 50, everybody wins 50. What do you do with the other 62? Musgrove, who threw the no-hitter, came back for the Padres, and he was striking people out left and right, but he gave up a couple homers, and the Brewers got that win. The uh, Mariners tied for the top record in the American League after that win over the Dodgers. Seattle off to a good start. And the Boston Red Sox off to a great start. A route the Chicago White Sox 11-4. Red Sox 11-6 now. And you were just talking about the Yankees, and they're off to this bad start, kind of floundering around. They were supposed to be the best team in the American League, the only team in the American League that's supposed to be on par with the Dodgers and the Padres. And Brian Cash. you determine that? You've said that many times. Odds makers come up with the, that? The odds makers in <laughs> Vegas. That's where they establish the odds. The people are putting money down. The only okay. thing you care about. All right, good for you. And G and G and Brian Cashman, you just were saying yesterday, man, if George Steinbrenner were alive and in his prime, he'd have fired a manager by now. He might have fired two. But Cashman says the team will not overreact to their five and ten start. It's a new era, PK. Get used to it. Because we got the pinstripes. We're not firing the manager. What is trending is brought to you. By Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst, writer for Bleacher Report, here to talk jazz and NBA at 9 o'clock. Dane Brugler, NFL draft analyst for The Athletic, will join us next. Stay with us on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Dane Brugler, NFL draft analyst for the Athletic. Dane, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you doing today? Good. We are uh, constantly amazed by all the love being thrown, not just to the top two quarterbacks, not just to the local guy out of BYU but five quarterbacks at the top of the draft. And you can go through the history of the NFL draft, and you can find guys who 
came in in the first round and were totally worth a pick. And they were great for their team, and their team won a lot, in some cases won Super Bowls because of them. But you also see a bunch of busts up there. At any point, you step back, look big picture, and think, wow, if five of the first nine picks, or whatever it turns out to be, are first-round picks, there are some teams completely setting themselves up for bustville here because there's no way all these guys are going to work out. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's what history tells us. You know, no matter how confident we are in these evaluations, uh, you know, history tells us that of these five quarterbacks, uh, at least two of them will not live up to expectations. And, you know, it's so much depends on landing spot. So much depends on development or lack thereof. You know, the coaching, the supporting cast. So, uh, you know, it, it's something where you just, you know, the, all these quarterbacks are talented. There's no, there's no question about that. But when you go to the NFL, there's so, much, so many more variables involved. First of all, just with college football, the NFL, two, two different sports. Um, and, and then when you're in a locker room with 30-year-old veterans who, you know, are talking about, uh, you know, their, uh, their contract situation, this and that, it just, it, it's tough for some of these young guys to step into that type of role and, and produce early on. So, it, it, it the, where they end up is going to hopefully you know it, it's going to be a good spot for them both personality wise and play wise but yeah like you said I mean, history tells us that uh you know that some of these guys aren't going to work out but if you're the team you have to you have to take a chance you know at least i, I want to swing uh, I, I want my chance at bat and you know if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but i'm going to bet on high-end traits i'm going to bet on guys with uh you know a lot of the you know check the boxes and let the chips fall where they may. It's, a, it's such a tough position to evaluate because there are just so many factors that go into, uh, you know, who's going to succeed and who's not at the next level. And if we're going to go by history, uh, we're also going to find that there's plenty of quarterbacks who didn't go in the first round and ended up being very good. And obviously Wilson and Prescott come to mind here, and I'm sure if I went down rosters I'd find somebody else, but those two come to me off the top of my head. Beyond these guys that are potential first-round quarterbacks, who do you like that maybe could be what we would consider a sleeper? Yeah, once we get outside the top five quarterbacks, one, to me, really stands out as being, okay, I can see this guy starting in the league for a long time, uh, and that's Davis Mills out of Stanford, uh, former five-star recruit out of high school. Uh, really, it just comes down to two areas that you're worried with him. Uh, the left knee, which has been an issue for him since high school, and then the resume, only 11 career starts. And so, it, it, you, obviously, that comes down to the medicals. And it, as long as the training staff gives me two thumbs up saying, you know, he could re-injure it, but, you know, it's, it's stable right now and, you know, there's, there's no long-term effects here, then I'm feeling good about Davis Mills bringing him into my organization, developing him, and seeing what we can have long-term. 6'4", 220 pounds. He might be the best middle-of-the-field thrower in this draft. Uh, he's a loose passer, uh, so he can move around a little bit. Not uh, not afraid to test those small windows. A very confident thrower. So with Davis Mill, I think there's a lot of traits that you're willing to bet on once you get to you know outside the first round. It just comes down to uh, you know making sure you're comfortable with the, the durability factor, and then just uh, you know the the lack of resume, the fact that he's going to need some time before he's ready for NFL snaps. How much, if any, stock do you put in the line of thinking that if you're the Niners and you have George Kittle, well, don't worry about drafting a quarterback. Go get Pitts 
those two together are going to make a lot of quarterbacks look really good. You buy any of that thought line of thought? Uh, I mean, yes and no, because selfishly, I, I, I'm here for it. I want to see it. You know, it would just be a fun from a you know, football viewing perspective. That would be a ton of fun. But at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, you look at the 49ers uh, last year, you know, coming off a Super Bowl appearance and the inconsistency at quarterback, it just, you know, it was a deal breaker and the 49ers weren't able to compete. So you have to get the quarterback right. And, you know, they, they traded all that draft capital to get up to number three to draft the quarterback. And it'll be interesting to see which one. I think we're kind of, you know, we're nine days out and we're still guessing. Um, and I don't think this is a situation where the 49ers are smoke screening or being coy. I mean, they don't need to be because we know who the first two picks are going to be. At least we feel very, very strongly that Trevor Lawrence will be going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, Zach Wilson to the New York Jets. So for the 49ers, it's more about due diligence. Uh, they were at Trey Lance's pro day yesterday in Fargo, uh, the week prior uh, with Justin Fields, the week prior uh, with Matt Jones. And so they traded up to number three with a specific quarterback in mind. And then did anything happen these last three weeks to change your mind at all? I, I think they're just they're keeping an open mind through the process. We don't know. And that's what we're kind of waiting to find out. Maybe we'll you know, get some clues here over the final nine days. But the draft starts at number three, and we're still kind of guessing who that's going to be. And that's going to create a domino effect because whoever, depending on who goes three, that's going to affect what the Falcons do at four, whether they go quarterback, whether they go best non-quarterback, which we think is Kyle Pitts. Uh, do they trade out of there if the right quarterback's available and we have a quarterback desperate team willing to uh, you know throw a lot of draft capital at Atlanta to get up to that number four pick? So, a lot of intrigue, and it all revolves around what San Francisco does at number three. How much stock do you think the NFL puts into college competition? It, you know, it, it's all relative, um, you know, because I, I think you, you look at, uh, you know, teams playing in the SEC and uh, the talent they have around them. I mean, Justin Fields, uh, you know, having the talent that he had at Ohio State, Matt Jones, the talent that he had at Alabama – yeah, they're facing better defenses, but they also have better talent around them. Uh, you look at Trey Lance, who, yeah, he faced FCS competition, but he's not really playing with a lot of guys that have NFL future. Uh, you know, the left tackle has a future, uh, NFL future, and then maybe one of those wide receivers has a shot. But for the most part, you're playing with uh, guys that aren't, aren't going to be professional football players. And I mean, even Zach Wilson, you know, we look at, uh, you know, Brady Christensen has a chance to be a top 100 draft pick at left tackle, but Dax Milne's more of a late round prospect. Um, you know, the the two guards, Herring and Hodge, maybe late round prospects. So, you know, Zach Wilson did not face the high level of competition that, you know, you would see in the SEC or some other conferences. But at the same time, even though he's playing with a strong supporting cast, he's playing with a good run game, play with a strong offensive line, uh, you know, his targets were were good players. They're not, you know, NFL quality, for the most part, NFL high-end players. And so I think it's all relative, and that, that goes into the thinking when you're evaluating these quarterbacks. All right, so now, Dane, now we're just going to have you step right into it, okay? we got a lot of BYU and Utah fans listening. And BYU fans think the Jets are about to do the right thing. Zach's going to go have a ton of success and make them proud, and this is going to be great, and the Jets are going to break through. There's a long line of Ute fans listening right now who are pretty sure that – 
He is uh, undersized. He's had injury issues, although he's healthy this year. He's going to get beat up in the NFL. He's going to be revealed because he didn't play elite competition this year. And plus, it's the Jets, and they're going to screw up around him. Who's right? You'd fans or Cougar fans? How's this going to play out? Well, I I think just just focusing on the player, um, I'm a big Zach Wilson fan, and and I've, I've been bullish on that since the fall. Um, you know, I took a lot of heat in my first mock draft back in November. I put Wilson at number two, and people just went nuts. And uh, but I mean, here we are. I think it's become the you know accepted as that's what's going to happen. And I think he's just an easy player to like when you, you watch the off-platform throws, the natural accuracy, the way he can tra- change his arm angles and not sacrifice velocity or ball placement. Um, he's a sharp kid. He's athletic. Uh, you know, are there things he needs to work on? Yeah, absolutely. He's 21 years old. Um, you know, in terms of escaping the pocket before he needs to, or uh, just just the way he you know reads certain defenses um, from certain alignments. I mean, there, there are certain things he needs to get better at, but that's nothing that's you know uncommon for a true junior quarterback. Uh, do you wish he were bigger? Yeah, I, I wish he was six five and you know two thirty and still moved the way he did. But you know, what's, this is not. Uh, realistic, uh, you know, six two two fifteen is decent size and you know good enough to to make it at the next level. Uh, you know, plenty of quarterbacks that size or even smaller have found success. So um, you know, I, I, it's just being smart with your body and staying durable. That's something that's hard to predict. Um, going to the Jets, where offensive line has not been a strength for that team, I think it's on the upswing. Mackay Beckton at left tackle is one of the best young left tackles in the league. Uh, you know, they have five picks in the first three rounds. They're going to invest in the offensive line uh, more and more. Uh, and I think when you look at the Jets with a new head coach coming in, Robert Sala, um, you know, who's a player's coach, uh, you know, with the LaFleur offensive coordinator, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a system in a Shanahan mold, which fits uh, Zach Wilson very well. And uh, the uh, general manager, Joe Douglas, in his second year, I think they're headed in the right direction. So as long as ownership doesn't get in the way, the Jets could be turning the page here. I don't think that's crazy to think that when you look at the general manager, the head coach, and the potential of Zach Wilson and the potential of this roster of what they're putting around him. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how this plays out uh, for both Wilson and the Jets because you know there's definitely a path to success when you break it all down on paper and how it could play out. Yeah, let's hear it for Broadway Zach huh? going forward. Maybe that'll happen. <laughs> Uh, you know, one, one of the things that we've seen is these these individual coaches, particularly at the quarterback position, been getting a lot of run. And John Beck's a former BYU mm-hmm. quarterback, and he's running these camps down in Southern California. He seems to be everywhere from going to pro days in Florida to being on podcasts. He talked about, I heard him on a Peter King one, where he talked about when he gets off the field mid-morning or late morning, early afternoon, whatever it is, he's got dozens and dozens of messages waiting for him. Uh, how much do you think that the NFL people are relying on these types of men who are involved in this training to help them with their selections? I don't know that they're relying necessarily, but it is a resource. Um, you know, because NFL teams, there's no such thing as too much information. You want to get all the relevant info. And, you know, it, it could be tough because obviously, you know, quarterback coaches are a little biased. You know, how, how truthful are they really going to be with you about a player's strength and weaknesses? And even like a player like John or a coach like John Beck, who, 
you know, he's been through the process, being a high-level college player and then being a draft pick, being in the NFL. And he's coaching multiple quarterbacks in this class. It's not like it's just one, so it's multiple. So is he going to feel comfortable really being honest about where, uh, you know, some of these guys need to improve, where their shortcomings are as players? Um, I, you know, that's where it gets a little tough. It's a little, and, and you know, it's, it, that happens at every school around the, around the country. Teams know which coaches are being honest with them and which are just going to pump up their players. And that's, that, that's part of it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know John Beck whether or not, you know, because he's not going to necessarily say that publicly, but how he talks with NFL teams, you know, it, it's that we just, we're not sure. We're, we don't know that part of it. And that's something that NFL teams, if, you know, if they feel like he's being honest and he's willing to, say, hey, this is where, you know, Justin Fields, he needs to get better at this business area or he's not going to make it, things like that, you know, then they're going to take that. They're going to, you know, take that into account and see if it matches up with what they're seeing as well. But, you know, the quarterback position, there's so many variables that go into success and failure at the NFL level. It's, it, it, it's the hardest position to evaluate. So the more information you can get from all these different resources, people that have spent time with the players, understand their psyche a little bit, both on and off the field, you, you take all that into account and, and try to figure it out, come to the best conclusion. So I'm curious what you think the Patriots are going to do, if they're going to go with Cam Newton or if they're setting up another move here. I've seen plenty of speculation. I think they're 15, but I've seen people saying, oh, they can get to 10 if they want a quarterback and make a deal with the Cowboys. And, in, and if the five quarterbacks go in the top nine, A, does one of them slip one more spot to them? Or once you're 10, you can get to eight anyway and make another deal. What is Belichick doing? Does anybody have any idea? Or, you know, he's basically the, the CIA or FBI of the NFL, and nobody knows. Well, you know, I, I think that when you look at uh, the track record, they, Bill Belichick and his, you know, 25 years or so of being a head coach and, and you know, a top decision maker for a team, his teams have only drafted a quarterback in the first two rounds once, and that was Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, and so it's just... When you think about it, though, he's had Tom Brady for, like, what, 20 of those years? So I don't know that necessarily is a big enough sample size for us to make a determination about whether or not he's going to take a quarterback early or whether or not he's going to be aggressive to get that quarterback. I I think that he spent the last year uh, looking at that offense and how stagnant it could be at times. And, you know, they they brought Cam Newton back as – I think that, you know, that's, that's your insurance. That's, you know, that, that's probably the best we could do in terms of free agency, in terms of trades, uh, just bring Cam Newton back. And then, you know, we're going to draft a young guy, but you know, which young guy is it? it do they have, and, and it's also fair to point out that not all of these teams love all five quarterbacks, you know, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, they might love two of these guys or three of these guys, the Patriots or the Panthers at number eight overall, once uh, it became clear in their minds that Lawrence was going one, Wilson was going two, they said, eh, we don't really love these other guys. We're going to go get Sam Darnold. And, you know, that's going to be part of our figure-it-out situation uh, at quarterback in Carolina. So not all these teams love all of these players. And the Patriots, it's hard to know. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. If the right player were to slip to maybe, say, seven in Detroit or eight in Carolina – nine Denver, I mean, that maybe we see a, a trade and maybe not even just the Patriots, you Washington, some of these other teams. So it's going to be really interesting, you know, quarterbacks, maybe one, two, three, four, which you've never seen before. And then where does that fifth quarterback land? It, do we see a big trade up? Which team does it? It's really going to be fascinating on draft line. 
Well, Dane, we appreciate the time and a few thoughts on the draft. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Thanks for hopping on the show with us. Anytime. Take care, guys. Dane Brugler, you read him. He's the NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. DJ and PK, the question of the day coming up. All of you reacting to the Jazz win and Joe Ingles' performance, and we will do that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Sean Devaney, NBA editor for Heavy.com, also contributes to Forbes Sports. Is there value in being the number one seed for the Jazz? Should that be a goal of theirs to end the year? I think 26-3 and three is a pretty good sample size. <laughs> you, know, yeah. that, you know, even though it's not the same, you know, there's obviously a comfort level there and, and teams don't like going there. So no question that whatever it is, Utah has a big advantage at home and they absolutely need to do what they need to do to... Again, you balance it against, we've got to make sure these guys are rested. We've got to make sure that we're not putting anybody at risk. But I do think of any team in in either conference, really, that Utah is a team that should really kind of keep its focus on that number one seed. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes or Toast is brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup at Jerry Seiner Cadillac. It's definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. Question of the day. Who here thought Joe Ingles could be this good? Admit it. There's no way you did. I'll admit it. There's no chance I thought this guy would be running the offense. This guy would be hitting threes from everywhere. This guy should be closing games. This guy should be starting games. This guy's a nightmare in the pick and roll. There's multiple things that are true about Joe Ingles that I never believed. <laughs> there. Did I plead guilty enough for you, PK? Well, you listed a whole bunch of things, and I got a short-term memory. Did you list the three-point shooting proficiency? Yes, that's on. I never thought he'd shoot it. I guess of all the things he's pulled off, you know, for a player to come in and be pretty good at catching and shooting, but he's shooting off the dribble and and being this good. I mean, I thought he could be somebody could have a knack to be a forty percent shooter, and there's enough of them now that it's not that surprising. But if you're going to start shooting forty five percent or better, that's absolutely surprising. Surprising. Uh, Didn't see it coming. Well. The thing about the shooting is I didn't really know because I knew nothing about him. So I didn't know, was he a three-point shooter and with his national team? Was he a three-point shooter in the European mm-hmm. competition that he played? I really didn't have any idea. Uh, the, the thing that really struck me, I think it was uh, two years ago at Media Day, and they had it at the arena, and I'm in there, and I think it was when Justin Zanuck was elevated, so... It wasn't this season. I think it was was either before last season or before the other season. I think it was before last season. And so Jay-Z and Dennis are sitting up there. Yeah, it was because uh, when Joe came up, he was with Mike Conley. And this is Conley's obviously his second year. So it was the start of the prior season. And Dennis said, it really struck me because I had no background of Joe Ingles. Uh, He said that. Joe has transformed him from a journeyman for himself from a journeyman overseas into a top ten small forward. And I thought, man, you know, you would think that as well as and this was last year, and he's having his, I think he's having his best season this year. Uh, 
and it was before last season. So uh, I think it's his seventh year. So that would have been starting his sixth year. Uh, you would think if you were this good, you were more than a journeyman overseas. It's In my mind, it seems like, well, if you're a really good, like Doncic, okay, he's a star in the NBA. Well, he was a star from 14 on. And so you think that there would be some type of correlation from what he was doing in his prior uh, levels of competition would stand out in order to be a top 10 at your position in the NBA. You would think that the track record would be better but a journeyman and I remember specifically Dennis called him a journeyman and I thought man this has been incredible improvement and the gains that he's made while in the NBA is just an unbelievable story even if he was an uh, an introvert and he didn't put himself out there with his kids and his wife and I'm not sure I know anybody else's wife's name on the team but yet I know about Renee I feel like I've known Renee all my life because he talks about her a lot. And she's doing stuff in the community. They're active out there. You put that aside, that adds to the greatness of the story. It doesn't necessarily add to the greatness of the player. It adds to the greatness of this Hollywood-like story. Even if he was an introvert and we knew nothing about him and he did his interviews and he went home, he still would be a phenomenal story as a player. You combine that with all the stuff that he's done. And it's really just incredible. And there's just no way that I saw it. I, I didn't, when I went after him and had my conversations, I, I just had happened to be with him a couple of times. And one time at a dinner when he's randomly placed at my table and we got to be talking, I thought that a reason why I was attracted to him to get him on the radio is because I thought he was a good radio personality. I knew really nothing about the player. When you tack on the player... And it just blows my mind. Joe is now shooting 49% from three and is the number one three-point shooter in the NBA. That goes beyond, uh, you know, he's a good three-point shooter. And then all the other stuff he does. It's yeah. it's shocking. It's he's more than surprising. a radio personality now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say. I think that's an understatement. Uh, Robert says, I believed he had something to prove. He just needed a real chance. Plus, he came from the city my sister and family lives in. Okay, that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of guys have something to prove, and they need a real chance. Well, I think everybody has something to prove. But that doesn't mean you're going to take off the way Joe has. Ron says simply, thank you, L.A. Clippers. Okay, but uh, you know there was a, he was a free agent, so the Clippers invited him. So thank you for inviting him to training camp. Thank you for because cutting I don't think him. He, yeah, I don't think he means that as a positive. No, I think there's some sarcasm there, and he's happy the Clippers cut him. Yeah, but they brought him to training camp. How about all these other teams? The Jazz had a connection. It's not like that connection all of a sudden materialized when he was cut by the Clippers. They took advantage of it at that point. Good for them. Great for them. Great move. Great move. Uh, this is this is right there with uh, drafting Millsap in the second round, maybe even better, as far as uh, that goes. Uh, plucking somebody out of obscurity, and Royce O'Neal belongs on that list too. And there's a ton of can go on and on with these guys because I mean, they've been very good at that. Rudy Gobert, Mitchell, you name it, basically. And so getting this guy the way they did, I, I would look at thanks to the Clippers for bringing him over and making him a last cut. I wouldn't look at that as a negative. 
You would genuinely thank them for serving him up on a platter. Well, bringing him over and making him last, because if he's cut early, ah, man, the Clippers, they didn't even think he was good enough to, to extend the whole training camp. But he's cut late, if I recall the story, is they had an injury, they needed a player at another position or what have you. I don't remember exactly all the details now. So having him in training camp all that time, puts him out on the radar, and the Jazz go ahead and, and sign him. And, thankfully, the Jazz sucked at the time. If they had their team now, say they had somebody like a Joe Ingles going into next year, and he gets cut, Jazz don't have any need for him. But the all the, all the timing had to be there. And maybe you even throw in the, the drafting of the young kid uh, Exum from Australia, it's it's same language, obviously, that they speak in Australia. Yeah, but he's still moving so, halfway around the world. The yeah, culture's and different. And he's a youngster to, mm-hmm. to a degree, and and maybe that played into it. I mean, I think that was overplayed. I think you're trying to make your team better, uh, but maybe that was something. Even if it was a small part, Joe doesn't care. He's just gl- great, thankful to stick. But it's not just about sticking in the NBA because he's done far more than stick in the NBA. It really is phenomenal. And there's just I'm right with you as far as shoulder to shoulder saying there's no way. He's doing step back threes now <laughs> and just not even doing any and nobody's hey, a Joe Ingles made a step back three. Okay, yeah, all right. I've seen this. I've seen it a million times. It's just absolutely incredible. James says, I still remember Joe's first few games. And me thinking the only reason we added him was to give Exum a bridge and some comfort for his transition. Sure. I would have laughed if anyone suggested Ingles would have a far better career than Exum. Boy, was I wrong. Ingles, Malone, Bell are my three favorite jazz players of all time. Ingles is probably number one. I love the guy. Ooh, I'm going to have a hard time going above Hornacek. I've got to have a one and one A there. Hornacek is, uh, he's been my guy for a long time. He was my guy back in Phoenix. And I had, I didn't have any, I didn't have any interaction with him outside of, uh, interviewer, interviewee, uh, until he actually came to Utah. And then I got to know him a little bit beyond that. Uh, but I had family who had interactions with him down in the Valley and the the quality of that dude is just sensational, and uh, so I, I think I still got to give a slight edge to to Jeff there. Uh, but Joe, we're we're approaching dead heat category, and we're probably already there. You know, guys who have told you a lot about the NBA, and you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And these aren't the only two, but I wonder. Uh, that's a summer topic. Sometime ten jazz. Not just players, because you got to take in other people in the organization, but 10 jazz people. Let's just go with that. 10 jazz people who've made you a smarter basketball fan or a smarter basketball media member in our cases, but I think for the whole fan base. Because these guys are willing to put themselves out there, talk about the game, talk about players, and they say stuff that we can't know, and they say it in a way that we know it and get us to think about stuff we didn't think about. I mean, both these guys have said so much about what it's like to play in the NBA, how you play, how you adjust, stuff that you and I didn't play in the NBA. You and I didn't come anywhere near playing in the NBA. So there's, there's just stuff to learn, and you got to appreciate those people who, who throw that stuff out there for you. Well, sure, yeah. Well, everything you said. 
All right, we got more people weighing in. Question of the day. And uh, people all over Facebook. Who thought Joe Ingles could be this good? Admit it. No way you did. Tony says Joe plays for all slow dads of the past. We love Joe. And that drives me nuts. <laughs> I knew it would. The That's slow stuff. Get out of town, man. I mean, what's the John Wooden play fast but not in a hurry? Uh, there's there's something to be said for what Joe does, the pace in which he plays. Plus, when he gets around the corner, and you know it's not downhill. They like to say that it's obviously not literal, but he gets up enough speed combined with his savvy and skill. It's not just savvy. It's skill. He's got high skill. You know, what does the defense do? Does it sag? Do you get weak side help? And then he throws to the corner, mm-hmm. which a lot of times, uh, depending on where it is, is in front of the team's bench. Uh, so you combine all those things. But you got to have the skill. You can be the brightest mind in the world and, and you end up being a Majerus. You have no game. But your smartest can be, and that's what I think Majerus was. I mean, his mind was incredible, but he'll tell you, he told you many times he had no game. Uh, so you end up being a coach. Well, you can't just be smart. You got to be smart. And there's plenty of smart guys in the league. Uh, most of them are smart for that matter. Uh, but you got to have the skill, too. And, and if it was that slow, then it wouldn't be as effective. It wouldn't be effective as a, at all if it was slow. It may not be Russell Westbrook fast I, or John Wall or these speed demons up and down the floor. I get all that. But I, I think it's that that slow stuff, uh, I think it's greatly exaggerated. I think it's greatly exaggerated, and I think there are a lot of coaches at multiple levels who have told players you go 100% speed at the defensive end, but then you got to dial it down and go two-thirds or three-quarter speeds at, off- at the offensive end. You love baseball analogies, and it's a pitcher. you got to be able to change speeds. And that's what Joe does. And he's taking his time. And, and you got to give his teammates credit because the only reason that whole slow-mo Joe pick-and-roll into the lane oh, and that looping lane works is because they've spread the floor. And he's not getting the second and third defender coming at him from crazy angles because they're afraid to leave these guys. And that's partly because, obviously, he's a very good passer, too. And so he's got more time and space and just go slow and get you caught in no man's land. You know, get you commit to one or the other, and then he'll beat you the other way. I mean, he's got Gobert to throw it to. You know, Gobert's going to finish most of these alley-oops, especially when he's in space with nobody around him. So, yeah, you got to credit all the team around him, but... The, you know, watch Steph Curry. Steph Curry isn't going a million miles an hour. He's getting guys into no man's land and making them pay. You know, It's the rare guy. Westbrook, he's a great example. John Morant's another. There are guys who can go 94 feet in the blink of an eye. But there's only a handful of guys who can do that, and that's not Joe's game. That's, that's not the game for a lot of really good offensive players. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, it's not because... We're naming the fast players, right? And, yeah, and it's that's a small number, so that means everybody else is going on the, at the speed they go to succeed. Yep. All right, DJ PK, it's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone. We got more. Of you weighing in? Stay with us. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst and writer for the Bleacher Report, is here in an hour on ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone. DJ PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. 
That's Davis' vision. Question of the day, Joe Ingles. Who thought he could be this good? Admit it, there's no way you did. And Brendan just tweeted at us, I will admit that I thought he was going to be a bench player who would last a season or two at best. He's completely proved me wrong. Okay, the line begins over here. (laughs) So I'm curious. He's a bench player. How many Joe Ingles are out there that don't get discovered? You know, let's say that Joe had stayed with the Clippers, and they have guys who play the positions in front of him, and, you know, in Utah, one thing or another happened, and partly it was Joe getting better, but partly opportunity knocked, right? Yes. Gordon Hayward left, played a very similar role to Joe. Joe could have been stuck behind him and had less opportunity. And you can probably go down a list of other players, right? You could end up with another team, and it, I mean, it was the Clippers. It could have been somebody else could have offered. He could have gone there. It could have been stuck behind guys and not quite, not quite clicked, right? You don't work with the same assistant coach who pumps you up with confidence and wants you to do something and, and talks you in the right way so you really buy into, hey, I can make the step back three. Who knows what little things tweak that and it goes differently. How many guys out there who could be a Joe Ingles, and you can go back because you started to do it in the last segment, and reference other jazz players who seem to come out of nowhere, right? Uh, Royce would be a current example. Uh, Way back, Raja Bell would be an example. The jazz have a long history of second-round draft picks and undrafted guys who turned into pretty good NBA players. And Joe's going to the high end of that group. You know, literally leading the league right now in three-point shooting. But I wonder how many guys are out there in the NBA who, if they got in the right system, had the right teammates, which means putting good players around you but not in front of you at your position so that you get the chance and get enough of a chance to really show what you can do. I wonder how many guys there are. By definition, I don't think we know it, but I'm curious. All right, well, I'm not. Um, I think those guys uh, come to pass. I don't know that these are the 450 best players in the world, so every single one of them uh, belongs there over somebody else because I believe there's good ball play at the college level. And like Suggs, to me, Suggs is an NBA player right now. And he hasn't played a down or a play in the NBA, but I still think he's an NBA player right now. Uh, And he'll need some adjustment time. And I would also throw into the equation – you know, as far as timing, and timing being, well, he's the best three-point shooter in the league. Well, that means a whole heck of a lot more, more yeah. today than in 1991. Yeah, right? He would have never gotten a green light the way he's gotten it now. He's definitely a guy who is playing in the right generation, the right time for his skill set. Yeah, and that's extremely important, and... He's playing it on a team that gives the go-ahead. <clears throat> I saw something. I, was it yesterday in pregame? Quinn Snyder, I, I think it was yesterday. I'm not sure. Uh, that he said he'd rather have a guy go 0 for 10 from 3 than 2 for 2. I'm, mm. I may be paraphrasing. Uh, yeah. But the point he was making is he wants the volume. So the era that Joe's in is obviously best suited, (laughs) and the team that he's on, too. Because I don't know that other teams want that type of uh, amount of threes put up to the level that the Jazz do, and they clearly that they do. 
Jerry Sloan never said, I want someone to go for 10. <laughs> Didn't say it. Jerry said, we've got enough three-point takers. We need some three-point makers. Yeah, it was just a different time. Oh, absolutely. Different philosophy. Absolutely. He wasn't surrounded by this many guys who could shoot the three. I mean, it just had to kind of evolve. It didn't happen in a moment. You know, why don't you want to shoot a few more threes? Why don't you shoot a few more threes? Hey, let's go all in, said Houston, and shoot more than that. Yeah, I think they had them back then. They just didn't know it or use it or want it. I mean, I think the players back then could have shot just as well. It's not that long ago. I mean, we're not going back in that long. I mean, certainly Stockton and Hornacek could have shot. There are guys who could have shot game. it, sure. Russell but, was decent. But we're at a point now where there's 50 or maybe even 51 guys shooting 40% and a whole bunch of guys at 38 and yeah, 39% that aren't but, that far off. And I think they could have done it then, too. Mm. I, don't, I don't think this is that long ago to where the skills of the players have dramatically transformed. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. We'll never know. But that's just my own thought, and if you want to think otherwise, I can't prove or disprove it either way, but just using the, <clears throat> the Jazz as a team. So all those factors had to come in, and I think the number one factor is Joe himself. I think you have to give the credit to the individual to uh, look at it and see where do I fit in, where do I need to get better, and he talked about how uh, Quinn Snyder told him in the early days, you want to get on a four, play me D, and then I can I can use you. So, you know, he had to go through that. And then, then you can see it in his release, and he's talked about it, to where <clears throat> the release bringing the ball down as opposed to keeping it uh, above your shoulders. So you're catching and shooting all virtually in the same motion. Uh, he, uh, Joe's talked about that. I've seen him. I used to go early in the, uh, you know, get there at 5 o'clock at the arena and just sit there. The, the, the public wasn't allowed in, but obviously we'd be in and just sit in uh, upper uh, level of the lower bowl and watch him just take these shots a million times over. I think Guthrie, who's gone now, was his assistant. Mm-hmm. And they would just work on it over and over and over again. Yeah, it's like I told you that time, uh, one time I was at the uh, Mount, um, the Big West, Big West, uh, West Coast Conference tournament, and I was at the Orleans, and I saw Sabonis for like 20 minutes. He was working on footwork, he, and he had no ball. He did not. He was not putting a shot up. He was just working on footwork, doing all these things in the post. Well, he's transformed himself into a pretty good player. So that's what it takes, and I think that's a credit to the individual that he's willing to do that. And I think ultimately the credit goes to Joe for him doing what he needed to do. And then certainly you have to go and start with the management. That's that's what I was talking about yesterday. And this Dwayne Wade thing, and it's exciting to have Dwayne Wade associated with the team, but let's not forget the organization has done some great things, and and Wade can be an asset to that organization, no question, but I believe that the organization is bigger than any one individual, and you have to have all these experts doing what they do, and from the Jazz perspective, they deserve credit for developing Joe Ingles, so I'd put it Joe 1 for developing himself, and then the organization 2, and that includes everybody. It's not a singular Quinn Snyder, Dennis Lindsay, whomever. I'm talking everybody involved, people that I probably don't even know and know their names. They're involved in getting this man to be a, an extremely talented player on the team that has the best record in the league. You know, I think that uh, your point about Wade, that goes to what he said when he said, I wanted to be part of something bigger than myself. Yeah. 
And it, the thing is, it's not only all the people in the organization now, many of whom we can't name, uh, you know, but it's all the people who built on that. You know, why did, why did Dennis Lindsay want to work for this organization? Well, he knew the Millers were, a, you know, a patient uh, ownership group. There are probably other opportunities. And, you know, he'd certainly had friends take other opportunities where it's like, yeah, you got a window. But, man, they will move. <laughs> and they will move on you if it doesn't go right right away. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they they, they trusted Dennis because there was some lean times, and they knew full well we coming. are going to have lean times. This yeah. is not going to be a surprise here. We're going to have lean times, but this is the plan, and we're going to stick to the plan, and we're not going to overreact, and we're not going to just blow it up and restart the plan, and then whatever the progress we've made, we've just undercut that progress by starting all over again. And that's what I've said a million times. That's what drives me crazy, the uh, opportunity to have a plan, and then you get in a panic situation, and then you change it all and you just wasted all that time so they didn't do that so all these folks put them in a pot and they all deserve credit and now here's joe shooting 49 percent, posing after buckets against the lakers holding it and random people in the staples center yelling at him and joe loving every second of it <laughs> yeah and that that adds to his story yeah uh, that he's uh What's the word? Boisterous, flamboyant, emotional. I'm not even sure I can pinpoint it out on the floor. Uh, and the, the bottom line is having fun. And that's what he uses to motivate himself. And, you know, it's trash talkers of the past. We, we hear of Reggie Miller talking about Larry Bird. And we know that Gary Payton loved to do that stuff. And Westbrook today seems to play like uh, somebody just ran over his cat or something. I mean, he's always furious about one thing or another. Uh, and if that's what uh, works for him, great to be to me be motivated. And Joe likes to do all this stuff. And plus, the, the thing that I think the connection from the fan base is that he hasn't isolated himself. He's not behind the walls all the time that people look at him and they see somewhat of a common dude. And, you know, he's got these issues in his life and he's put them out there with his child and the autism. And so he could be your neighbor. And if he was your neighbor, hey, Joe, how's it going? What you up to? Uh, yeah. Hey, got to go. I got to go to play a basketball game. You know, just mm. the, it, it just he seems like a common man rather than this huge, huge celebrity that is completely and totally unapproachable. I wonder, I wonder how many more of those there'll be and to what degree because the players are getting more and more removed from the community, you know, and it's for lots of reasons and lots of little things. And sometimes it's uh, planned and sometimes it's just happenstance. You know, I mean, I, I'll give you an example. They, you know, they put the, the chef in the uh, – they've got the chef – who cooks for the players in the facility, right? And Locke was telling us last week about, you know, there are days that are locked out and there are days you got to be there for practice and there's a get-what-you-need day. And maybe you just come down and, and the chef cooks a meal for you and you get some shots up and you need treatment on whatever, you know, ankle or wrist or whatever is bothering you. And then you grab something for lunch and then you leave. Well, Carl Malone, when he was a rookie, you know, none of that existed. And so he had his favorite restaurants. And he interacted with people at those restaurants. And people knew 
uh, you know, Bowler, we'll have Bowler on, and he'll tell you all about, um, you know, the Judge Cafe, and Carl was a regular there, and people would see yeah. him and tell him, hey, go get him tonight, Carl, or, you know, whatever, whatever the topic of the day was. And that's all gone now, you know? And literally, we got players living in gated communities. I don't know how many of them. I know at least one of them, and I suspect there's a couple more. Uh, and they're just not interacting with people the same way. And the celebrity and the money... It sounds like a cop-out to kind of say it has to be that way, but I feel like inevitably it's going to be that way. Well, I think that to a degree the situation is dictated that it be that way because put yourself in the player perspective. When you walk out, somebody wants something from you. Yeah, right. That's the celebrity I'm talking about. at all times. Totally agree. And so do you want to deal with that? And what are their motives? What do they they want from you? Well, Mm -hmm. Are they trying to figure out a way to get close to you so you give them money? And where are we going with this stuff here? And so the money is outrageous, and it can solve all sorts of problems for a lot of different people. So those guys got to be careful. And then you get the women angle involved and all that stuff. And and I couldn't imagine. I'll never imagine because I won't be in that position. But who do you trust? And what is your circle? I would think your circle would be tight. And how do you let people in? Do you want to let them in? What's it going to be? Because somebody, every time, almost every second you're out there, is going to want something. If it, and maybe it just be, is a hello, mm-hmm. and or a an handshake, a handshake, yeah. a yeah. selfie. This in this era, a selfie. Yeah, my wife took a, a selfie with Steve Nash when we were in the security line, and Southwest Airlines flying. He was flying from L.A. to Phoenix. We were flying from L.A. back here on a, a football trip that she came with me, and it was in September, and he was after he had moved to the Lakers. And he just turned around and posed, and it was, you know. I did it so quickly because I was sort of embarrassed uh, that it was actually blurry, and you could barely ah, tell. You wrecked it. I did. <laughs> you I wrecked did. it. Yeah, I did. I did because I just – that's not what I do. Uh, but she's she wanted it, and he was right standing literally right in front of us in the security line. So to me, these guys, uh, I, I don't view them as anything but basketball players or whatever players they are. And if I know you, if I would know Joe, I'll, I'll chat with him. But the rest of them, I would just, I got nothing to say to you. You're a basketball player. And then in another time, we were at Manhattan Beach out in the water and just kind of wading in. And there he was. So this was an entirely separate time a few years later. And there he was with his two kids, and I said, that's Nash, five feet away from us. But she didn't want to say anything to him. She's too chicken. (laughs) (laughs) you got to know PK's wife to know how how entertaining this is. Yeah. You can tell her I found this very entertaining. (laughs) And she always liked – I mean, she's a Phoenix fan because she's a Phoenix native, right? Mm -hmm. So she uh, roots for all those teams. And uh, one other time we were at the Phoenix Open – and she loved Dan Marley, Thunder Dan. And here comes Marley. And we're in between holes. We're over by the entrance. And, of course, there's millions of people there, millions of thousands. And I said, we're walking. I said, here comes Marley, man. He's coming right at us. And I saw him about 10, 15 yards away. And uh, she didn't say anything. <laughs> she, she walked right by. And I will tell you one other time. We were down at, this is another story, at the Phoenix Open. Now, she loves Ricky Fowler, right? That's her favorite golfer, somebody who hasn't done a whole lot, but nevertheless has got a lot of run. And um, 
I got credentialed because it was Johnny Miller's uh, last broadcast. Remember, I went down and, and, and mm-hmm. we had a little press conference. Yep. And she was with me, and they give you a parking pass. And so you walk through the security with the parking pass, and then that leads you into the golf area where you can get your credential to then have access, right? So she's with me, and I've got the parking pass that they mail you. And uh, I show it to them, and they let me, and she's right with me. So now we're in the player's parking lot, right? And who do you think is unloading stuff out of an SUV not more than 10 yards away? It's Ricky Fowler. (laughs) 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 And I say to her, she looks, there's Ricky Fowler. I said, don't say anything. (laughs) Because now we're on company time. Yeah, right. Right? And uh, no. No, before those other times, I wasn't on company time. You were, I'm just, you were a spectator in a spectator area. Yeah, I'm just Joe's citizen. Yeah, yeah, now we're in a secured area. Right, with a media and, pass. Yeah. Right, yeah. And I'm going to pick up my media pass, and it's just a, it's a parking lot, basically, that you walk through, and then when you get to the end of the parking lot, that's where you get your pass that allows mm-hmm. you your credential to do what you need to do. And uh, then she went in and just went into the gallery, and I said, don't say anything. And she, oh, yeah. I said, no, don't say anything. Please don't say anything. So I told her not to. But then uh, we, we walked down to get the pass, and he walks right by her. I mean, shoulder to shoulder. And I said to her, well, why didn't you say good luck today? Because you told me not to say anything. <laughs> I said, well, you come up, could have said good luck to him. And then she could have spoken to Ricky Fowler. But but she didn't. She She listened to me. So we were professional the whole way. Uh, so now we got to get one clarification before we run here, PK. So, so were you in the photo with Steve Nash and your wife? Because then it's a no. selfie. If you're taking no. the photo, it's not a selfie anymore. Now it's a photo. Got yeah, people who are very particular. Oh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> you took I'm a photo of the two of them. I, I took the photo and I hurried it so fast that it was blurry, yeah. and it's it's not even worth showing people because. You don't really know that it's Steve Nash. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. A jazz update on the way. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst and writer for the Bleacher Report, coming up in half an hour right here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Sean Devaney, NBA editor for Heavy.com, also contributes to Forbes Sports. Is there value in being the number one seed for the Jazz? Should that be a goal of theirs to end the year? I think 26-3 and three is a pretty good sample size. <laughs> so yeah. that, you know, even though it's not the same, you know, there's obviously a comfort level there and, and teams don't like going there. So no question that whatever it is, Utah has a big advantage at home and they absolutely need to do what they need to do to... Yeah, you balance it against, we, we've got to make sure these guys are rested. We've got to make sure that we're not putting anybody at risk. But I do think of any team in, in either conference, really, that Utah is a team that should really kind of keep its focus on that number one seed. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, this segment brought to you by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now where you can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. Utah Jazz beat the Lakers. Now they get a day off to get ready for the Rockets. And they don't have any back-to-backs here. They're actually going to get a, uh, what, a two-day break 
uh, Wednesday to Saturday. They're not going to play Thursday or Friday. So there'll be some rest coming up. But PK, this resting uh, discussion and Rudy Gobert taking that first Laker game off has got your attention. And you have a possible solution. Well, yeah, I was listening to Phoenix Radio yesterday, and they're talking about resting, you know, what to do with Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. And it's a big topic. Used to not be a topic you'd play, but now it's a big topic around the league. What do you do? And Mark Jackson was talking about it in his day. If you wanted to rest, well, kick the crap out of the teams, and you can sit in the fourth quarter. Is there something to be said for that? Is that good enough rest? This rest issue will continue. Now the Suns are still right on the heels of the Jazz. Uh, we thought that this road trip would be a defining time for both teams because they have a five-game road trip against the best teams in the East. How good they are remains to be seen. And with that in mind, would they uh, – lose some games, so then that would really open up a cushion for the Jazz, and the Jazz literally could rest guys and like they did on Saturday afternoon and not have to worry because they'll have the cushion. Well, the Suns get the win over Milwaukee. is somewhat of a controversial thing at the end there on a foul, and Booker goes to the line and makes the first one and misses the second one on purpose because the Bucks had no timeouts left. And so they get out of there with the win. Now they're going on to Boston, and we thought Boston was finally living up to what it was supposed to be. And they turn around last night and lose to the Bulls, and the Bulls don't have their best score. They're all-star, and Levine is not playing. And the Celtics lose. Just miserable. And, and I was that they had the free NBA package, so I was watching that. Ainge was doing commentary. Danny, not Austin. Uh, on that guy, I'm listening. Is, is that Ainge? And mm-hmm. so, yeah, he was doing it for the home team. And then I switched over after a while because that game started earlier because then I wanted to watch the Suns and the Bucks and then, of course, the Jazz and the Lakers. So, what we thought was maybe going to be a difficult trip for the Suns now, well, they're already 1 0. And if the Celtics aren't what we thought they were, well, and you never know who's going to play with the Sixers. It seems like uh, those guys, Embiid, Simmons, those guys take off all the time. So maybe that isn't as tough and all that stuff. So the point being, the Jazz then won't get a little bit of a breather. Well, what do they do? How do they handle the rest situation relative to the number one seed? Mark Jackson was talking about didn't smoke people, and then you get to sit out during the actual game. So what do you think about that? Uh, I like it. I think the one problem with it is that the three-point shot now is uh, such an easy shot for so many guys that coaches who used to think a game is safe with a 10- or 12-point lead, now, depending on you know time and all that, but now they want 15- or 20-point leads. And... You know, I get a fifteen or twenty point lead. Well, and and certainly that is a possibility, right? I think that you can sit the last five minutes of a game before that. I don't, uh, I don't think Quinn would tell us if we asked, and I don't think he's been asked, but I haven't heard every availability either. You know, could if you had a twenty or twenty five point lead with eight minutes left, would you think that's safe? Or once you've had someone drop a twenty one to three run on you, is there really no number that's safe? You're just looking at the clock and thinking, well, with four or five minutes left, I'll take the guys out. Because if Rudy's going to play thirty two, let's just say thirty two minutes, just to pick a number, if he suddenly doesn't have to play the last five, you know, can you drop that to twenty seven? And how different will he feel? I think. Sometimes they use rest to hide an injury. I think if you have some nagging injury, guys are going to sit games no matter what. But if it's purely a rest issue, and I did hear Jackson on that comment, if it's purely a rest issue, 
then there is something to be said for not playing a five minutes because you and I both believe all minutes are not created equal. You know, you can glide through minutes early in a game that won't be as competitive and demanding as the last five minutes of a game that's a two or three, you know, one, two or three possession game. You know, all minutes aren't created equal. Well, that, that brings up the Catfish Hunter line when they started allowing women media into the locker room. He said that they'll learn that all men aren't created equal. You love that line. <laughs> How long ago? Catfish Hunter. What percentage of our listeners even know who he is? What difference does it make? It's about the line. <laughs> it's not about the person. <laughs> it's a 40-year-old line. It's, yeah, yeah the, the, the Constitution is older than that, and I abide by it. Ah, oh, that a kid. There you well, go. Maybe that you pot. don't. You stir. You abiding by the Constitution is now stirring the pot. Absolutely, man. You try to please everybody at all times. Take a I stand. Don't think, I don't think that. I don't think that pleases people. <laughs> Literally, don't think it does. My group owns the Constitution. Your group doesn't respect. By saying that's a controversial statement, that's not trying to please people. Hmm. I would disagree with that. Hmm. So do you think I they're going to do it? Do you think they're going to have it? The Constitution of the Jazz is to blow people out if you want rest. Do you think they're going to have enough 20-point leads that they're going to have uh, sit in the last five minutes? That's a potential solution. Do I think so? Uh, possible. I mean, if, if you're concerned, it depends on how much concern they have regarding the rest. Because that's the question that I can't really answer. Because I don't know what they, they can't say it, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure they really know. It's sort of take it as they come. As I see the game on Saturday, I, looking back, I can see where they're going. But how many times are you going to have that situation like that where your body clock is all out of whack of what you're used to doing? Yeah. You have back-to-back day games. When's the last time they've had back-to-back day games in a regular season or ever, I don't know that it's ever happened that, that I can recall here with this group anyway. So at the time when I saw that, I thought, what are these guys doing? And we always want all oh, the ghosts of the statues. They're rolling over, blah, blah. Well, you talk about, you want <laughs> no, old time? <laughs> yeah, the catfish hunter, okay, that's way old, but that line will stand the test of time. The idea of those guys playing all that stuff back then, forget about it. You could say, well, they did it back then, and they're still living. Oh, fine, but it's not relevant to now because nobody does it. And, well, yeah, we got to follow the crowd. You can come up with all sorts of stuff. But the fact that's like, let's get rid of BYU's honor code. That's, you know, let's discuss things that are never going to happen. It doesn't make any sense. So to whine about, well, in their day, they played 82, and the one year Thurl played 84 when he got traded. Great. That's awesome. But it has no bearing on now. It just doesn't happen now. It's not the way it is now. So with that in mind, I thought, what are they doing? But now that we've come past it a few days and I've had time to think about it, it makes a, it made a whole lot of sense to do it. Now, that's an unusual situation that they're not going to have the rest of the year. Right. So I don't know how they handle it because I don't really know what their thinking is. They're not going to come out and say, we got to have that one seed or we're screwed. Nah, we don't really care about the one seed. They can't say it. Now, they're thinking about it, but there's stuff you can't say. 
So how do they handle it? Well, one solution is if you want rest, more rest, is to put it on these guys, whoever the opponent is, like tonight or tomorrow night, I should say. Houston. Against Houston. They uh, stink, right? They play. Then, yeah, the Jazz play the Suns the last day of April. And huh? between now and then, it's Next nobody, week. nobody, and nobody. Houston, Minnesota, Minnesota, and Sacramento. It's four lottery teams. Even with the new smaller 10-team lottery. Those are lottery teams. So you could you could and you've got a uh, you've already got two days off on the twenty second and twenty third this Thursday and Friday. Uh-huh. So I don't it, to your point that it's a one off and there's probably one there's two more back to backs. I could see them on Saturday May first sitting certainly Conley. I don't know when Mitchell's coming back. He, I'm sure he wants to be back for the Phoenix game. I don't know if they'll let him be back or want him to be back. You know they're going to reevaluate him after a week. So I guess it'll. We'll see what it looks like then, and maybe we'll hear something. But that Toronto game on the second night of a back-to-back, they could be resting guys there. Fine. And, and then one other back-to-back, but to your point about the blowouts, they play Denver and Houston back-to-back later this year. But do you need your whole team to beat Houston? And can you beat them and sit guys the last five minutes? Houston's been getting blown out by a lot of teams. For whatever reason, they play the Suns close, and then they get blown out by the Clippers, and they play the Suns close, and then they lose to the Nuggets. But I'd have to look it up. I think they lost by, like, 28 or 29 or something like that. I don't think it got to 30, but they got blown off the floor. And the thing that the Jazz, and I'm sure they're well aware of this too, is that the Rockets are playing for nothing and all this stuff, but they're looking for incremental progress, some sign that they can build off of. Well, how about being the best team in the league? That gives you a shot in the arm. That gives you some level of momentum, something that you can sell, something you could rationalize. So then you got that factor in. Well, you're going to get their best shots because you got the best record in the league. And you are who you are. So they're looking for some positive. Well, it's a positive to any game to win. It's a positive. It's certainly even more of a positive to beat the best team in the league. So how do you handle that? That's stuff that the Jazz have to figure out. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for the Bleacher Report, coming up at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated. I've been working on something on the Jazz and how they have kind of put things together since last March. And I don't think there was a team in the league that got more value out of the bubble than the Utah Jazz. On a personal level, reconnecting after all the things that happened in March was valuable. And I think on a professional level, how they played and the confidence it gave them was valuable. They didn't walk away from that Denver series feeling down. It hurt, but most of those guys walked away from that Denver series thinking, we can be great. I think it's been a real springboard for what they're doing this year. Catch the big show. We Weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst and writer for Bleach Report, is going to join us in the next segment. But right now, it's time for the life and times of Patrick Kinahan. PK, you got a story for us. Uh, you and our listeners, I think, will enjoy this because it, it's meshing sports with politics, which it, obviously those two topics are being meshed all the time, right? Uh, certainly, we can't, we can't disagree. You can disagree on whether it should be, but we can't disagree on the fact that it is being meshed together on many, many levels, right? We'd all agree with that. So, over the weekend, I'm down in St. George playing golf. And with my wife, so we're a twosome, and we get hooked up with another twosome, obviously, on a Saturday afternoon, right? 
And so you introduce yourself, the first tee. We've all been there. We've all done that. And it's two gentlemen that we're playing with. And one of the guys uh, mentions, uh, you know, say, hey, what's your name? And I always tell people, what's your name? I say, Pat. I just say Pat. I never say PK. <laughs> uh, I just say, always say Pat, right? And uh, then they'll say, Matt. And I'll say, no, Pat. Try, try to establish boundaries right off the bat. Here. <laughs> Just with the emphasis. That's so you. <laughs> what do you mean that's so me? <laughs> Establishing boundaries. The, the part about you screaming at somebody, for people who don't know, he wouldn't do that. He'd be quietly disappointed. But it is, for people who know you on the radio, it is amazing how quiet you can get in public. Golf course included. Other situations, too. Yeah, you, sure. you can get freakishly <laughs> quiet. And, and people who don't know you are, would be blown away by that. But anyway, c- continue. Yeah, yeah. so because I'm there to play golf, you know, and I'll have a little conversation, but, you know, I don't really don't, I'm not much of a talker anyway uh, in those situations. So, and uh, so he introduces himself to my wife and the other guy, and he says his name is Greg. And they're up a little bit. Uh, they, I was playing from the blue. They were going to play from the white. So she went up to them. So they were up uh, ahead of me. So I didn't really hear it. And uh, she says, oh, your voice sounds really familiar. And he says, uh, yeah, you probably know it because I'm a lawmaker. Or I was a lawmaker. Well, she comes back. She says, Greg, he's a lawmaker. And uh, I put two and two together, and then he ends up telling her anyway. Well, Greg, and I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing this story, is Greg Hughes, who ran for governor. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's playing. And I got a cap. I got glasses. I tell myself, uh, introduce myself, Pat. I don't say who I am. I hardly ever say it unless somebody asks. And uh, he's a huge sports fan. Grew up in Pittsburgh and knows, I mean, he knows a lot about uh, Pittsburgh sports. And so it's obvious. So I figured, hmm, there's probably a good chance that uh, he knows who PK is, right? But I don't say anything. And we're having a great time. He's a great guy to play golf with. Uh, self-deprecating, funny, and, you know, good conversation. So I thought, well, I'm going to say something to him, but I'm going to wait to the end, mm-hmm. right? So we're on the 16th green. And... We each got about uh, seven or eight uh, fo- uphill, seven or eight foot uphill par putts, right? So, and we're both we both hit to the left of the green a little bit. It's a par three, and uh, so we chip up a little. We're, we're, we're like five yards away, so we're from each other, and we're walking. And the the pin is up in the back right hand corner. We're down lower left. So I said, "Hey, you know, you're a lawmaker, right?" I said. Uh, who's the guy who uh, started uh, the audit of Utah? Well, I knew full well who it was. <laughs> <laughs> Baiting it, man. Baiting that hook. She goes, well, that was me. <laughs> and I took all sorts of crap, Bart, and we're walking to the ball, and he's, his adrenaline is getting going now, and he's going through all this stuff and all the negative feedback he got and all the stuff that they uncovered in the waste that they found and how people at the U said it was good for them to uh, do that because they found ways they can save money and not, or at least not waste money. So he's telling me all this stuff, right? So then he <laughs> 
<laughs> and he's getting going pretty good. And he's he's talking about all the negative reaction and all the grief he took, right? And I'm sort of laughing. And my wife's over there snickering because she knows exactly what I'm doing. Uh-huh. And he goes to putt. And he sails it like five feet, five, six, seven feet past it. <laughs> and, that's and he goes, fault. oh, you got my adrenaline. You got me all fired up. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we had a good laugh. <laughs> and I made my putt. I'm calm as can be, right? So I made the part putt. And he's laughing about, oh, thanks for getting me all worked up, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I said, well, yeah, the media. Man, they, 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 you really can't trust them. Then we get in the carts, and, and we're starting to drive away, and he's sh- shouting at me because our cart's ahead, and he wants to tell me about some media stuff. And we get to the 17th hole, and he's still going. And he's telling about he, he did some sports radio, and they were giving him crap, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, man. I said, uh, man, that media, I said, especially sports media and sports radio, you just can't trust those guys. And I said to myself, I said to my wife, isn't that right? And she looks at him and she says, the reason why he's telling you that is because that's PK. <laughs> PK! Oh, man! Look at you go. <laughs> Did he find that funny afterwards? Oh yeah, Good, yeah. Okay. As I said, it was great to play. It was absolutely a great playing partner. Yeah, it was. I would. Pl- I would play golf with. Uh, and I guess you know, as Paul, I'm not a big political guy, but as far as playing golf with him, I'd play golf with him a hundred times out of a hundred times. Absolutely, I'd play golf with him. Yeah, he was a great guy to. You never know who you're going to get paired up with, and he was great. And his and his partner was great. We had a great time. We spent a great four hours together playing golf. And he and his buddy, they were competing against each other. And I'm coming off, so I hit my ball in the 17th tee, and his buddy comes up to me and says, man, that's great. Thanks for distracting him. Usually I have to work to get him off his game, but you're doing that. <laughs> oh, right. look at you. Look at <laughs> you now go. you're in the middle of whatever, whatever deal they got going on. So, <laughs> PK, I go to my men's league last week. I'm warming up, and they call out Hatch because I'm playing with my dad and my father-in-law. Guy turns around and says, are you Jake Hatch? I'm like, yes. He's like, okay. And then he says, I played with PK once upon a time in St. George. Tell him Mrs. K is better than him for me. Oh, she is. I mean, I've been sucking so bad. So she's he, been, he wanted me to pass that along to you. She's, she's been playing well. But we spent that afternoon with Greg Hughes, and my wife loved him uh, because he was a great playing partner. We had a great time, and I waited till the 16th green before I said anything. And he once he figured out who I was, it, it, he was even funnier then. At least you let him get through more. most of the round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I'm not going to let this go. And normally I would never say, hey, I'm PK, I'm on the radio, look at me, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I felt like under this circumstance, uh, he'd probably know who PK was, especially since he was a big sports fan. I didn't realize, excuse me, how big of a sports fan he was. But when you're with somebody for 16 holes – you know, you get to find out. And, and there probably are somewhat of a sportsman because you're playing a sport. You know, we're not at the theater here. <laughs> you're on the golf course. I'm not cultured. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but your so, wife might have dragged you there. It could have well, happened. It, it could have, but uh, she knows now. In fact, as recently as, oh, let's say yesterday, when she took my daughter to go see Les Miserables at the uh, Hale Center, and I sat back watching my free NBA uh, uh, ticket 
Water finds its level, PK. Water finds its level. Yeah, and they had a great time, and so did I. So it was a a total win-win situation. What a day. So, yeah, it was was a great day, yeah. So we had a a great opportunity on Saturday to play with Greg Hughes, and and it was a fun, fun time. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, Andy Bailey, NBA analyst and writer for Bleacher Report. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Andy Bailey, NBA analyst, writer for Bleacher Report, joining the show once again. Andy, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. I am curious your take on a lot of people's take on the Jazz, that while they're good, and no one doubts that they are good, what really separates them from multiple teams in the league is the fact that they have just been much healthier. Healthier than the Lakers, healthier than the Clippers, now that Jamal Murray's been hurt, healthier than the Nuggets, healthier than the Sixers and the Nets. Are you buying it? Um, I think that's maybe fair to a degree. Uh, what what that ignores, and I, I haven't heard that as much maybe as you have. I've, I've certainly sort of seen that in the floating around in the ether. But Utah has been basically since what were they? They started three and three or something like that. Basically since then, they've been the best play, the best team in the NBA. Um, and those guys that are, are out like LeBron and AD and, now Jamal Murray, they didn't miss the entire season. Um, so it's not like Utah has suddenly caught up to a bunch of teams since the injuries happened and, and overtaken them. They've been steadily the top team in the league pretty much the entire season. Um, so I, I do think maybe there's a kernel of truth to that. Um, but I also think there's there's just sort of um, a rush to find any way to sort of discount what the Jazz are doing. I, I think another part of it is, people still don't think that they have stars and they, they just want to find some way to rationalize. I don't think this team is going to win at all. Or, you know, I don't, I don't trust that they'll, you know, pass the Lakers Clippers, whatever in the playoffs. So they're just kind of looking for little nuggets here and there that can discount what they've done so far. So we don't know on the circumstances because of the uh, play in or whatever you want to call it, the new formula version of the playoffs who the Jazz would actually face in the first round. But could you handicap the possibilities and who do you think that you would rank as most dangerous as far as who they might meet in the first round? Well, with the way Stephen Curry is playing right now, I, I would probably have to throw the Warriors near the top, if, if not at the top, for most dangerous um, potential eight seed. Uh, Utah you know, they have a strong, solid defense, but it's obviously anchored by Rudy Gobert. And I don't, you know, Conley's a, a solid veteran defender who's typically in the right spot. Um, but I don't I don't think they have a great option to guard Stephen Curry. Um, you know, they, they could throw Royce O'Neal at him or Joe Ingles at him. There's a bunch of different looks that they could give him. But right now it just looks like it, it doesn't matter what's thrown at Stephen Curry. So he would obviously be a problem. Um John Morant is, is difficult too, but I think of the teams that are kind of in that mix. I, I guess I'll, I'll back up a little bit. The teams that I think are, are in the mix to wind up eighth are Portland, Dallas, Memphis, Golden State, and San Antonio. Of those, I think Golden State and Dallas are probably the two 
toughest matchups. Um, Memphis probably Memphis and San Antonio probably the least toughest, and then Portland somewhere in the middle. I I keep waiting for Portland to fall off, and they have a little bit here recently, but I hesitate to to uh, doubt Damian Lillard. I, there are problems with all of those teams. This is kind of, this is sort of an answer that's all over the place, um, but that's just sort of the nature of the West. Every one of these teams has star players. Um, with the with the possible exception of the Spurs, I know some people would probably argue that DeRozan is still a star, and he's certainly been great this season. Um, but there are problems up and down <laughs> that six through ten range. The, the Western Conference is just loaded as ever. But if I had to pick one that you really, really want to avoid, it's probably Curry, and then after that, maybe Luka Doncic. So you bring up Curry, and he's hit ten three pointers in four of his last five games, I think. And he's got six on the year. And there's only like five games where somebody's hit ten threes in a game in the whole rest of the league this year. It's off the charts. But he's not going to – you're not playing him now. It's a month to the playoffs. He's not going to keep this pace up for another month to get to the playoffs. And then two weeks in a playoff series, is he? (laughs) You wouldn't think that's possible. Um, But the way that he's playing right now – and I I was just looking up some numbers – this morning, and it's obviously not 10 threes per game. Um, but when you look at his numbers with James Wiseman or Kelly Oubre off the court, and it's maybe not fair to, to you know, throw Golden State struggles on those two guys. Um, but I think what it is, is is when certain players are off and the ball is in Curry's hands more and, and he's more of that heliocentric type of a player or playmaker, um, Utah's just – or Utah – Golden State is just a lot better, and so is Stephen Curry. I mean, when when he controls every possession, um, he's just been lights out. I I think the numbers. I'm going to pull them up so I don't get them wrong. But when when Ubre's been off the floor this season, and a lot of this is influenced by the recent hot streak, but Curry's averaging 38.7 threes and six assists per 75 possessions with a with a true shooting percentage around 70. Um, and Golden State is is wailing on teams in those minutes too. So. He's he's going to be a nightmare whoever he plays, even if he calms down a little bit from what he's done in the last 10 or 11 games. Um, he, I, he He's a guy who I think could single-handedly win a series, I, I, potentially against just about anybody in the West. I mean, I would, I would certainly pick the Jazz to win in five or six games over the Warriors. Um, but, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Stephen Curry had four games where he was just completely unstoppable. Um so, so I think you make a good point. He's probably not going to be doing what he's doing now in in a month or month and a half or whatever. Um, but he's going to be ridiculously dangerous, assuming he even gets to eight. I mean, like you said, we've got the play in tournament still. So you put out a tweet. It's always interesting to me when commentators and analysts you casually claim that Donovan Mitchell is Utah's best player. You're trying to make a point there, but I'm not exactly sure what the point is. Could you explain? Um. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think it's pretty clearly Rudy Gobert, um, who is not only the Jazz's best player this season, but has been for five or six years now. Um, And I think it's a general comment on, and hopefully it doesn't seem too much of a slight to Donovan Mitchell, but it's it's more of a comment on how good Rudy Gobert is and how he's he's just sort of not not necessarily ignored by the national media because he's obviously won a couple of Defensive Player of the Year awards. He's been all NBA. He's been an All Star. Um, but I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. A lot of commentators and analysts think the Jazz don't have a star, and it's easier to trust a guy like Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James in the playoffs because 
oh, the Jazz don't have a top 10 to 15 player. Um, but in terms of impact, Rudy Gobert is absolutely a top 10 to 15 player. Um, and maybe this is a semantics argument. There, there's a debate between, <laughs> is there a difference between best player and most impactful player? Um, I, I don't think there is. I, I, I've heard the argument that it's different, and I think if you wanted to say Donovan Mitchell has more basketball skill than Rudy Gobert, um, that's, that's probably impossible for me to argue against because um, he just he can do more things. But ultimately, I, I think what matters most to me is who moves the needle the most towards winning, and that's been Rudy Gobert, not just for the Jazz, but, but he's one of the biggest needle movers, for lack of a better term, in the entire NBA, and he has been for half a decade. Um, you know, there are a couple people out there. I think John Hollinger is one of them who've actually said, you know, he deserves more recognition in the MVP race. Uh, he, he certainly won't win it and he may not get many votes, but he's, he's a guy who could certainly earn a, you know, top three vote for MVP. I mean, the Jazz are the best team in the league. And like I said, they've been the best team all season. And I think Gilbert is, is pretty clearly the biggest reason for that. Andy Bailey joining us, NBA analyst and writer for Bleacher Report. So the Jazz play the Lakers twice, and we see, because of that, we're following the Lakers a little close in all their media, and we see the reports that uh, Anthony Davis could literally be back for the next game, and if not, you know, he'll be back in a week. He seems very close. But the reports on LeBron that he's still weeks, plural, away, there aren't that many weeks left in the regular season. We're in the playoffs in four weeks so uh, is there enough uh, runway here for LeBron to get back into basketball shape and for the team to all get on the same page and be in a playoff groove? I mean, I know he's LeBron, but is he just going to conjure this up out of thin air? Yeah, I, I think there's reason for some concern if you're a Lakers fan or, or you're in that organization. Um, I think the fallback is what you just said. LeBron is LeBron, and I think he's reached a point in his career where it's hard to – it's hard to discount him um, until we've actually seen him falter, and he really hasn't since 2011. Um, and they've got you know, they've got a lot of chemistry to fall back on from last season's playoff run, and their defense is still you know pretty solid even without those two guys in there. So there's a lot going for them. Um, you know, I, I, this has quieted down in the last couple of weeks because I think the Lakers without those two have been a little bit better than people expected. But if he really is out for, you know, two, three, four weeks pushing up against the playoffs, then I think the chances of them falling into that play-in mix are, if not great, at least they're bubbling back to the surface. Um, And, you know, if they have LeBron and AD for a play-in tournament, you know, whatever the format is, it's hard to imagine them losing two games, but that's a possibility. Um, And then if they, you know, if they wind up seventh or eighth, I it's it's a tough matchup for the Jazz, obviously, but I, I think the Lakers would prefer to play the Nuggets without Jamal Murray than the Jazz. Um, so there's certainly there's certainly cause for concern uh, among Lakers fans. I think I think they would all be pretty confident in a series against the Jazz, let's say if it wound up that way. Um, but that's that would be a heck of a first round series, and I and I think you could make an argument that the Jazz are the better team. So I am going to go on strike unless Donovan Mitchell gets first team All NBA. Is it a waste of time for me? Do you think he's got a shot? <laughs> um, I, I would start working on your picket signs. Um, I th- there's just so many talented guards, 
and and I actually saw something really interesting about Mitchell. I wish I could remember who tweeted this because I I would give him credit. Um, I think it may have been the guy who started Basketball Reference, but I can't. Uh, Justin Kubatko, I think, is his name. But anyway, um, he posted something like players who average twenty five points and five assists on the best the team with the best record in the league traditionally have been the MVP. It's, it's only happened a handful of times. Um, and we have to, we have to look at Mitchell's numbers in the context of what's happening this season. I mean, there, there's an offensive and a statistical explosion this season. That's really <clears throat> unlike anything that I've ever seen covering the league. And I, you know, I've only been doing this for 10 years. Um, but I've, I've certainly spent a lot of time looking at the history of the league through assignments that I've had and things like that. Um, and this is very unusual, but but all of this is to say that, you know, I I'm a, you read that tweet I had earlier, and again, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm discounting Donovan Mitchell, um, but he he really is having a phenomenal season, and just in terms of round numbers, it is comparable to some MVP campaigns, and so I think there's an argument for him to be first team All NBA, um, but you're 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 talking about guards that he's got to be put above and you know what Stephen Curry's doing right now what Luka Doncic has done for a lot of the season and I don't you know maybe they can qualify him as a forward I don't know I, there's just so many good guards this season that he would have to leapfrog I, I think you could make the argument but I hope you've got some some spray paint and some signs that you could put together for that I do man and, I, and I'm going to start at your house <laughs> So there are plenty of people who will not vote for him and will justify it. And, and basically the line of thinking is Utah is the Milwaukee of the West. They're going to win a lot of games. They might even be fun to watch on TV. But when the going gets tough, the Bucks get going. <laughs> right on out of the playoffs. Yeah. And the same thing's going to happen to the Jazz. They're going to lose to the Lakers in the second round. There's going to be uh, 24 hours of big fat I told you so's before the rest of the NBA turns around to watch big boy basketball with the Lakers or the Clippers and the Nets and the Sixers. You would say what? Well, first of all, um, a lot of those takes, and, and I have felt this way for years, really annoy me. Um, because it's really easy to pick a team and say they're not going to win the championship and then come back and do I told you so later. I mean, there are 29 teams that are not going to win the championship. And so a lot of analysts and and other people can pound their chest about something like that and have a very high percentage chance (laughs) to be right. And then, you know, on the, the off year that they're wrong or whatever, like the 2011 Mavericks or the 2004 Pistons or, you know, we could probably pick a few other surprising championship teams over the years. Um, there's, there's never the mea culpa, (laughs) you know, I was, I was wrong. Maybe maybe there is occasionally, but you just don't see those as often. Um, you know, everybody doubts the team that hasn't done it until they've done it. And I think maybe there's a little bit of fairness to that. I mean, there, there's sort of a subconscious part of me that thinks, yeah, it's easier to trust Kawhi Leonard in the playoff series or LeBron James in the playoff series, because we've, we've seen it before. Um, we've experienced Kawhi Leonard take over an entire postseason like he did with the Raptors. Um, we've seen LeBron James in the, in the finals for however long it was in a row, nine, ten years, whatever, whatever that streak was. Um, so, yeah, it's a little easier to discount the teams that haven't climbed all the way up the mountain yet, like the Jazz and the Bucks. Um, but I also think <laughs> if you just look at things objectively, um, Utah is – 
on pace to break the record for most threes made per game for a season. They're shooting close to 40% from three. They've got, they've got one of the best defenders of all time. They've got a guy who can take over a series in Donovan Mitchell, as we saw against the Nuggets last season. They obviously didn't win that series, but what Mitchell did was absurd. So you've got you know that guy that everybody kind of looks for in the playoffs um, who could take over on offense. You've got veterans like Conley and Ingles. Um, there's depth, there's shooting, there's defense. I, I think there's a very strong case to be made that the Jazz are one of those teams that can – buck the trend and if you if you dig your heels in and say you know the jazz are going to win you have you have a lot less you you have a lot lower chance of being right than the people who can get on tv and say there's no chance the jazz will win um so it's it's a little bit tougher call um but i think to discount them outright and just say they have no chance is kind of ridiculous frankly but then to go with the theory of you've got to do it before we believe you can do it and there's only two players or two teams, and it's the Clippers and the Lakers then, right? Because Steph Curry doesn't have yeah, enough horses I, right now. Durant, maybe the Nets, if he's healthy. Yeah, and I'm starting to wonder about the Nets because um, <laughs> they just they can't seem to get all three guys going at the same time, and maybe they're just being abundantly cautious, and, and everybody will be fine in the playoffs. Um, but you're right. I, I think the default is, you know, it's easy to pick the Clippers <laughs> or the Lakers, and I think it's easy to, to justify those picks. Um, but I, I I really do believe that this season, and I can probably knock the Nuggets off this. In fact, I, I think it's pretty safe to do so. But there are seven or eight teams that I think you could make a really good faith argument that they could win it all. Um, there's a ton of parity in the league right now, I think more than some people realize. And there's there's a lot of variance with how many threes that these teams shoot. Um you know, you can go on a cold streak for two weeks and be done, or you can go on a hot streak for a month, month and a half and win it all. Um, and I, you know, there's a lot of variance with teams around the league, and I think there's actually a little bit less with the Jazz because they are a really consistent three-point shooting team. Um, you know, guys like Ingles and Conley and Mitchell have all been, you know, pretty good three-point shooters for a while now. Bogdanovich is another one. Um They've got a lot of options offensively, and I think they've got a great anchor in Gobert. So I think their variance is is slightly less chaotic than than some of the other teams in the league. I I do think they have a solid shot. So load up the vans. Everybody going to Wendover. Oh, never mind. Just grab your phone. You can bet on your phone. You have to drive an hour and a half. (laughs) Andy says it's going to be okay. (laughs) Or did I I oversell that? (laughs) Well, I... (laughs) Be okay is probably a good way to put it. I, I am increasingly every year becoming one of those analysts who hesitates to make predictions. Because um, it's just, I mean, in the years when the Golden State Warriors had Durant and Curry, you know, full strength, it's easy to just say, oh, let's chalk it up to the Warriors um, when the season starts. But crazy stuff happens in the NBA every single season. Um and I, you know, I don't think you'd be flushing your money down the toilet if you if you put some on the Jazz. Um, but like I said, there are just so many good teams that I could see making it all the way. I mean, you mentioned the Bucks earlier. I, I think it's too early to even discount them. Um, the Sixers have a dominant, dominant big man in, in Joel Embiid. Um, the Clippers and Lakers, we've already talked about. The Jazz. I, I'm I'm a little more hesitant with the Suns than some other people are, but they've got a, a good, you know, modern roster with a veteran point guard who. Um, is certainly hungry right now. So there are, 
there are a lot of teams that you could put your money on. Um, if you're the gambling type, I, I, I don't think the Jazz are a terrible bet, though. Andy, we will leave it right there. Andy writes for Bleach Report, covers the uh, NBA as an analyst and writer for them. You can read his stuff there. Andy, we'll have you again on the show as the playoffs get closer. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Everything we've talked about in this show, next. Stay with us. What time is it? It's half past the hour and time to talk Utah Jazz. Oh, Donovan! This is your Jazz at 30 update, presented by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce? Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Ring the 30-point bell. Bell, bell. Utah Jazz beat the Lakers 111-97. Jazz win by 14. The game wasn't really that close. They were up 20 after three quarters. Their dominance established in the first quarter. The Lakers were down six after a quarter, and they were only that close thanks to 6-10 shooting from the three-point line. They were 2-8 of eight on two-pointers, and you can look at that stat and point straight to Rudy Gobert's return to the lineup. Frank Vogel, Laker coach on Gobert's impact. Gobert's a difference maker. He's one of the best defensive players in, in the league. Um, you know, but I still thought Drum had some really good looks inside. I thought he used his power uh, effectively at, at, against him. Just miss, misses some shots that he, that he normally makes. Um, you know, but you know, Rudy Gobert is a, a difference maker for these guys. Jazz also got Derek Favors and Mike Conley back. Conley had five assists in the first quarter alone. Jordan Clarkson paces the Jazz with 22 points. Joe Ingles with 21 on five of eight shooting from beyond the three-point arc. Jazz are off today. They play the Rockets in Houston tomorrow, tip-off at 6 p.m. That's your Jazz at 30 update, brought to you by Syringa Networks. Many of our listeners, the daily grind begins at 6 a.m. sharp. Wake up! But for some of our uh, slightly less ambitious listeners, uh, what? this segment is for you. These are your nine o'clock. Where the heck have you been, slacker headlines? Wake up! With DJ and PK on 97.5-1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Obviously, a great player dealt with adversity throughout his career and always seemed to come on come on top and uh, be the better from it and uh someone that he's dealt with different coaches he's dealt with different systems and, he, and he's always had success and then obviously with the injury that he had uh to be able to come back and lead his team into the playoffs it shows the type of man that he is the type of team player that he is and and uh i'm just grateful for the time that i had with him that that really developed me to be the quarterback that i am today the news broke 24 hours ago that Alex Smith was retiring from the NFL. That's Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, who as a rookie backed up Smith and learned from him during his first year in the NFL. And he is clearly all on board Team Smith and a huge Alex Smith fan. You probably like to go out with the confetti falling down on you holding up the Super Bowl trophy. But if you can't do that, John Elway did. It's a short list. Uh, If you can't do that, Alex Smith is certainly going out well, PK. Bouncing back from a horrific injury, few people believed he could. He started for Washington and a team, and really a franchise that's been a mess for 20 years. He won several games for them and got them into the playoffs. And as a final chapter in his uh, NFL playing career, that was a pretty good chapter. Well, I also think it's the most notable chapter. Interesting, he played 16 years, and that's what we go to 
right off the bat. We don't go to what he did uh, in the prior. In San Francisco and yeah. Kansas City, yeah. And we, we go to this thing and the comeback. So it's like that horrific injury, as you said, actually get, is going to give him his most fame in a weird, twisted way. Yeah, if it weren't for that, what would you go to? That He did play that crazy playoff game with the Saints where there were like four touchdowns in the last six minutes or something, and and he scored on a long touchdown run, and they won the game to get to the NFC title game. That would, I think, be the highlight of his career. Maybe losing the job to Kaepernick because he had a concussion and had to miss a game. You know, it's uh, where else would you go with Alex Smith's career? About a half well, dozen playoff the number one pick of the draft. Yeah, number one pick in the draft. So he calls it a career, says he looks forward to the next chapter in his life. There's a lot of injury news. Mahomes was speaking with the media in part because of Alex Smith, but also in part because uh, he's recovering. He had turf toe, and he had surgery for it. He says he's ahead of schedule on recovery. He was able to go to the Masters in Augusta. So that'll, that'll motivate your recovery. Hey, if I do well, I get to go to the Masters. Okay. I'm in. Green Bay Packers are moving their uh, first month of spring team activities virtual. They're going to do everything online here at the start. So uh, there's your NFL news from the day. How are you going to do jumping jacks online? That don't make no sense. Everybody gets in front of the camera and does their jumping jacks and their toe touches together. Unless you're Gronk. Did you hear this story? Last year they wanted him to send in videos of him doing his workouts from home. He literally did all of them in one day, changed his clothes between individual workouts that he filmed, and then sent all of them into the to the Bucks. There's technology now. They can put this thing on you and check your heart rate and all they that. They didn't do it, computer. so he, he filmed so it all he got him, in huh? one day. Got to get to the 21st century uh, technology. The computer, Big, bro- big Brother, can can track your, uh, your pulse, your blood pressure. Uh, College Hoops, the big news, Gonzaga gets the number one recruit in the country, Chet Holmgren. And will he pick up where freshman star Jalen Suggs left off? Because Suggs has announced he's going to the NBA draft. So, one phenom in, one phenom out. Gonzaga, will they keep motoring, PK? You put your phenom in, you put your phenom out. Shake it all around, and then you go out. Are we even looking in the right place, or is this more about their uh, losing their elite assistant coach and their international link to Arizona because he gets his own own team to run now? Well, if Tommy Lloyd was the ultimate key, then he was wildly underpaid. (laughs) I mean, you have to assume assistant coaches are going to leave from good programs. So uh, I think that it's about the program. And I suspect that they continue to, to go on. Now, I don't know if they're going to go to the final game every year. I mean, why, why would I heap the, the expectation on them when Duke and Kentucky aren't even coming close to doing that? An excellent point by you, and I think you know the answer to that is because they don't play in the SEC and they don't play in the ACC. And that may not be fair, but that's the way it is. And also, they play on the western side of the country, and most of the national media is not located in this part of the country. Gonzaga's got their attention. I just wonder if they can keep it. Oh, yeah. They can keep it, yeah. Because they're going, they've made the tournament every single year under Mark Few. And so they'll keep it to an extent. To what extent will determine, be determined by how far they advance? Is it, do they go to the second week? Do they go to the Elite Eight? Blah, blah, blah. 
So there are about five NBA games that caught our attention. Obviously, the Jazz beating the Lakers. Uh, Steph Curry shooting outrageous. He goes for 49 points. The Warriors beat the Sixers 107-96. He's 10 of 17 from the three-point line, and he made it look effortless. And you never thought they were bad shots. And he just, it's like he had everybody on a string. He moved him where he wanted. They would, his teammates said, uh, is it, it, if, if Embiid's guarding me, I'll set the pick. Embiid's on me, I'll go set the pick. If not, let somebody else do it. And it just looked effortless in the fourth quarter. Made it look like you really don't want to play them in the first round of the playoffs now. I don't know that they'll have this form and be this healthy in another four to six weeks. But, man, did they look good. You talking to the Warriors? Yeah. I mean, I think he looks good. I yep. don't know that they look good. He looks good. Jokic also looks good. He went for 47. The Nuggets beat the Grizzlies in overtime, 139-137. That's actually double overtime, uh, 139-137. And John Moran had a chance to win the game at the buzzer and got caught in the air and slammed the ball off the backboard and tried to go back up and tip it in. That would have been an outrageous way to win a game, but really he didn't come that close. He just got caught in the air. True. Suns beat the Bucks 128-127. This is the start of their big five-game road trip. Uh, They're playing five of the six top teams in the East, and then they'll follow that up with the Clippers and the Jazz at home. So a very difficult stretch for the Suns, and they won the first one in overtime, and they got a call right at the end, and Booker got to the line and won it. Yeah, it's a nice uh, couple of weeks this week and next week for these guys see where they're at, and if they come out of it in a good spot, well, that obviously puts the pressure on the Jazz to continue to win if they want that number one seed. The game with the Jazz and the Suns is in Phoenix April 30th. If you want to circle that one, that's really the Jazz' next big circle game. Circle it. I'm going to go to it. They ought to, they ought to uh, win every game getting, getting up to that one on the, uh, on the 30th. And the Jazz beat the Lakers. They had Gobert back. That changed things right away. Mike Conley is back. He had five assists in the first quarter. Favors came in and did his thing. That was uh, a much better performance by the Jazz, but not very entertaining, PK. They were in command of that game from the start. Quinn Snyder, who will uh, will point out any flaw, even said, I thought the team was dialed in right from the get-go. Up up 8 nothing. I think a Jazz win is highly entertaining to our audience. Yes, but I wasn't talking to Arden. I was talking to you and the fact that you and I really enjoyed that Saturday game, even though they lost and even though there were five I, All-Stars I, missing. It was highly enjoyed, competitive. This I was not. This was dominant. Yeah, but that's fine. It was still entertaining to me. I want to see them win. Having Joe do his thing, I find that entertaining. And the Celtics, the Suns are going to get the Celtics here in their next game on the Eastern Road Trip. How disappointed were you in Boston? Well, yeah, I thought, oh, they're coming around finally. It took up virtually the whole season, and then... Tatum, I think it was like 3 of 17, something like that, and losing to a Zach Levine less Bulls team. Yeah, that's Bulls. Yeah, that's Bulls something or other. I got you right there. That's unbelievable. And the question of the morning, which uh, many of you have been responding to who thought Joe Ingles could be this good? Admit it, there's no way you did. Ingles continuing to amaze. Five of eight from the three point line, 49% shooting. That's only one thing he does for the team, but it's one thing he leads the league in. The freaking league leader, yeah. I think Renai probably thought that, but that's about it. 
<laughs> you think Renee? Because the kids, Renee and the kids. Now the kids weren't there. Now I know you folk think that the, you know, they they were there. They're just not here. There, they were there, not here. So maybe they did. I don't know. We'd have to ask them. It's called the pre-existence, PK. When they come of age, yes. Yeah, so, uh, I I don't know. I'm I'm in the post-existence right now for myself, but uh, other than that, I'm not sure anybody believed that he could play to this level. It really is phenomenal. It, it it's just a great great story, and the fact that he's come on the air for seven straight years on the radio, and rarely misses a time. It's just I I don't know if you could pull it off anywhere. There's something to be said for the charming nature of the small market. Without question, there is. And I don't say that just because uh, I grew up in a small market and now live in a small market. But I just, it's even with the teams that are small market, off the beaten path, whatever, I just, I just can't find myself rooting for LA, New York, and Chicago all the time. And at some point, you get to be, even if you're, you know, Clemson is from South Carolina, right? Well, at some point, they win so much, they don't feel like the gutty little underdog anymore. You know, Gonzaga's doing the same thing. How was Clemson an underdog? I don't, I don't understand that knowledge. That Clemson knowledge. isn't a big dog in the history of college football. And when Clemson started winning, they hadn't done anything in 10 or 20 or 30 years. Yeah, I mean, they, they had, had a team a national back, title. They had back in, like, 81, yeah. Yeah, but that's I think they also better been, than everybody, most of the teams out there. But they had been very mediocre in the years leading so up to this So was Alabama. <laughs> yeah, I know. But Alabama had multiple bites at the apple of being very good. Alabama's one of the blue bloods of college football. Clemson isn't. I mean, they I get now. they are now. They are now. I totally agree they are now. But if you want to go back over, you know, 60, 80, 100 years of college football, they're not. Notre well, Dame was great 100 years ago. Rudin and Rockney did the stuff in the 1920s. You- You'll go back as far as you need to go back to make your point. Yep, and I think I did. I did it quite well. Congrats <laughs> yes, to me. Props to me. <laughs> I agree. You did. <laughs> I'd agree with that. And that's all relative. When you're going up against a New York, L.A., Chicago, or you're going up against Ohio State, Alabama, USC, Notre Dame. You know, it's all – I mean – Notre Dame can get into a playoff now, and we can look at them as the kind of the junior partner of the four. And it's hard to paint Notre Dame as a gutty little underdog. Uh, so everything, everything is relative. You know, a, a Wisconsin or a Georgia gets into the playoffs, they're the Cinderella. And that's why we like the small markets, because they're the Cinderella. After San Antonio had won four titles, we didn't really think of them as, as, as Cinderella. They still weren't a top 20 market. But with Duncan, they were beating people up for 15 to 20 years. Yep. All right, anything else you want to hit here, PK? Anything else to catch the people up? We talked draft with Dane Brugler, uh, NFL draft analyst for The Athletic, acknowledging, acknowledging, yeah, five of the top nine picks will be quarterbacks, and probably two or three of them will bust. And nobody cares because – well, not that nobody cares, but everybody's willing to take that risk because – that's just how important quarterbacks are in the NFL. Even if you can go get Kyle Pitts, you'd rather hey, I, roll the dice on a quarterback. Men- if you mention Kyle Pitts one more time, I'm going to go crazy. Penny Sewell. You could go get an offensive lineman who you ought to be able to you know, anchor your offensive line for a decade. Uh, is that possible to anchor your offensive line with one player, though? Well, you need a complete unit. If you have if you have a weak link, it will be exposed. So, 
I guess at some point you can say they're not anchored because they got this weak link over here. You know, right? However good your left tackle is, if your right tackle can't get it done, well, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, the quarterback's going to get his head knocked off. <laughs> the quarterback's going to roll left a lot, run away uh, so, from that pass rush. Yeah, football's the ultimate team game, and quarterback uh, is the most important, the most position. imperative position understood. And I'm interested, and we won't find this out for years to come, because I don't even know that you can make a judgment on Sam Darnold right now. The Jets did. They deemed Zach Wilson better than Sam Darnold. That's Or, or yeah. at least going forward, maybe in a year or two or three. Although I don't know that you really get three years to develop anybody now. As far as a coaching staff and a, uh, a management team, I don't know that you get that much time. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on uh, – Zach Wilson, we'll have his quarterback guru, John Beck, scheduled to join us tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock to talk about that. And that would just be, what, eight days? The draft is next Thursday. Is that when it gets started? Is it go Thursday, Friday, Correct. Saturday again? nine days yeah. out. So that at that point will be eight days. But uh, it seems to me it's unfair to evaluate, oh, Zach, uh, Sam Darnold is this or that. Do we really know? what Sam Darnold is as far as his NFL career. Well, He's I think 23 that, years old. I think just to improve it here, <clears throat> you know, you can't render a judgment, <clears throat> and yet the Jets did. I think what you're saying is you can't render a final judgment. They have to make a call right now, keep him or draft and try again. But the final judgment, uh, you could probably come back oh, to tomorrow's to show God. with that's a no. whole – okay, from a football sense, please, oh, okay. stop. <laughs> stop. First the – Yuck. The final judgment, when I hear that, I'm not thinking football. <laughs> you, you didn't kind of tee him up on that one. After, after pre-existence earlier, final come judgment. on. PK's having a segment. The final There's, judgment. There are two representatives of a certain faith that would like to visit with you, PK. I thought, I thought it was pretty clear we were talking about football, <laughs> not the second coming, but... That's part of it, yeah. Apparently, case, I missed second, the book. We got second coming coming. We got the whole thing going here. If a player plays 15 years, when can a final judgment be issued? Well, just to go to Alex Smith, because he just retired, I think we basically knew who Alex was in the middle of his run with Kansas City. At what I don't know what he was, eight years really? in the league at that point? Yeah, he was pretty much, he was a playoff quarterback. He could get teams to the playoffs, and he wasn't a Super Bowl quarterback. And you would have been right. But He's Brad a playoff Johnson, quarterback. He's Brad Johnson was a half. Super Bowl quarterback. Yeah, Rich and Gannon you know, was a Nick, Super Bowl quarterback. Nick Foles, who can't even hold on to a starting job. That's my point. What is final judgment? And you can go all over the map with it. For some players, not Tom Brady. Well, yeah, obviously. And many players. Drew Brees, blah, blah, blah. Once someone is 30, do you know who they are? Do they surprise you anymore? Yeah, that's, that was my point. The one thing you can say about the Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, and a lot of this may go to the salary cap and the finances, is that we're finding out who a lot of these guys are very young. I mean, we know who Mahomes is. We're not going to argue who he is. Not going to argue who Russell Wilson is. They won Super Bowls early, but they were so good early that they could win on the rookie contract. The teams didn't have to spend as much on the quarterback, so they could spend more on the rest of the roster. But then once these guys take their $30, $35, $40 million contracts – they don't have as much money to spend on the rest of the roster, <laughs> well, and they, they become gettable for the rest of the league. Then they need to uh, just be married to a supermodel who makes $50 million a year. <laughs> and Brady Come can on. take less.
And, and he does. Mar- Mar- Wilson's married Wilson, to celebrity. Yeah. He's not taking less yet. Maybe he will, but he's not yet. And Mahomes just took a big chunk of the Chiefs' salary cap. So times change. Guys get paid, and it's going to impact the rest of the roster. Yep. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. If Zach Wilson is taller than six foot and weighs more than 200 pounds, I will eat his cleats. That, I, I, I've seen him in person. That dude is not a feather over 200 pounds, and he's no 6'2". No, I did not see this coming from Joe Ingles. Every year, I've been shocked by his ability to get things done, but his best thing is his basketball IQ and his dead-eye shooting, of course. <laughs> the best thing. Now a list. <laughs> best thing indicates singular. Tell him you're a grammarian. Yeah, my grammatics would indicate the best thing is uh, one individual thing, not uh, a plurals. Uh, the Zach Wilson reference in there, that's because Dane Brugler was uh, talking about how yeah, he's 6'3", 220. He can hold up to the rigors of the NFL. Okay, he's not 6'3", 220, but pro day, six foot two, 210 pounds. And that's multiple NFL teams who are confirming that number. Aren't we beyond that, though? I mean, we should is, be. Is Lamar Jackson a huge guy? No. I mean, we always go to Drew Brees. I guess, say that, Drew Brees. He's done, he's done now, so I'm done with him. Uh, I'm going to go... Russell Wilson is, is Kyler Murray, these yeah. guys. Now, Murray hasn't proven to the level of Wilson, obviously. But to me, this Wilson is tall enough. If he doesn't succeed, it's not going to be because of his lack of height. If he doesn't succeed, is it going to be because the Jets organization is a mess and hasn't had no. much success in decades? No. No, or can a quarterback overcome all of that thing. and just yeah. well, wave the He's not going to – if it's that bad, he can leave. So I'm not going to go the Jimmer thing. He didn't get his chance because uh, the Kings were a mess and because well. you love Jimmer that much and you want to blame it on everybody else except Jimmer didn't have the skills to compete at a high level in the NBA. Uh, so maybe that's a short-term deal. But if he doesn't succeed, then they'll trade him like they traded Sam Darnold. Yep. Yeah, and, and we just saw Alex Smith go through it, and that was the thing early in his career, but he ended up going to the playoffs with three different teams. So, But I'll tell you what. Oh, what, what, what? Zach Wilson's going to succeed. Yeah! And I'm going to write about it, and then five years later, I'm going to go back and mock all the doubters. Okay, our good friend Hans Olsen just sent this in. Pro Day measurement has no wiggle room. There's no fudging on these numbers. It's... All these teams, they want exact numbers on these guys. So six two two ten. There you go. That, and I still, even if he was six one. So what was Steve Young? Steve Young's not a giant. No. Yeah, but like Breeze, he's done. I'm done with him. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're never done with Steve Young. That's a true story. Steve, our phone lines are open. Anytime you want to call, we'll just let Hans and Scotty get on a little late. You can call right now. Oh, especially if you're involved. Jeez, Yock, remember that day? Yes, I do. <laughs> I had a great lunch during that interview. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just make noises the rest of the show. Well, for some people, that's what they hear when I speak, as I was told this time yesterday to shut up. Shut still, up! Still not over it. No, you'll hold on to that for decades. 
Except I don't know what it was. I mean, I'm talking for all these times. What should so I which specifically? About? Yeah. Oh, it's about 17 things you said. I know, but, all I, but, but I would like to know specifically what, because I want to I want to be able to gloat. What did I say that got under his skin? But if it's just too general, I don't know, and I don't get near the enjoyment out of it. Yeah, I can't help you. I don't know what it was for. You right. just have to make something up and embrace it. Mm-hmm. Uh, who here thought Joe Ingles could be this good? Admit it, no way you did. Benjamin tweets back at us. Since when are we talking? Jazz fans have known it for years, and I'm guessing Paul George knows it too. Wink emoji, laughing till crying emoji. <laughs> okay, even though then, since then to now, I think there's been another phase, don't you? I totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Absolutely. He's getting he's getting better and better. Right. I mean, everybody knows how good Donovan Mitchell is, right? There yeah, is yeah, a yeah. reason why Donovan went two for seventeen, or was it three for seventeen? Whatever. Awful numbers on a gazillion shots, multiple times in the first month, and no veterans went nuts. There was nothing. And you asked Jazz players about it in January and why, and it's because we played with him in September. We saw the talent then. We knew. All the stars around the league knew. They're, they're greeting him after games, hugging him, embracing him, trading jerseys with him. They knew. And yet, he gets hurt and leaves, and they plug Joe in, and, and they'll miss a beat. Yeah, you say that about Donovan Mitchell. We, you know, He's making fun of Paul George. I remember Paul George at that time in a post-game interview said, uh, no surprise to me, we have the same agency. I saw it in the summer. I heard about it, and I saw it. And, and I remember George said, and he said it so matter-of-factly. And I don't remember, was he with Indiana? Was he with OKC? I don't remember what the timeline was. Like My thought would probably be Indiana. But I remember him saying that. And I thought, wow, man, Paul George is really pumping up this kid. Uh, so uh, that stuck with me all this time. Yeah, and they, oh, they don't miss a beat uh, against the Lakers, the, this version of the Lakers. I mean, I think they're going to need, certainly going to need Mitchell to go all the way. And they're yep. going to need Joe. They're going to need everybody. Yeah, they are. I, mean, they, I agree with that. They, they are going to need everybody. Yeah. But they, Joe, Joe shot his career high in the NBA three-point shooting was 44%. That was uh, four years ago. It was in the 2017 season. Uh-huh. Now, since then, his numbers have fallen because he's taking more. And, of course, he's not surprising anybody. He's now the focus of scouting reports and everybody knows, right? This year, he's shooting 49%. He's the focus of scouting reports, and everybody knows. But he's shooting 49%. He's getting yeah. better. He's wow. getting, there's no other way to spin that. Nope. He's getting better. It's another level. All right, DJ PK, we're done. Hands and Scotty are next. We'll see you tomorrow.